On this episode, we discuss Between Worlds. The number one search result for Stop, You're My Stepdaughter and You're a Ghost. <laughs> Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Wow, Dan McCoy coming in hot, coming in a little colder. Me, Stuart Wellington. And here, coming in as cold as possible. Oh, <laughs> it's old Elliot Kalen blowing in from the north wind. Ooh. Ooh. Am I a ghost now? I was wind uh-huh, before, yep. but now I appear to be a ghost. <laughs> chain rattles, chain rattles. Mm-hmm. Is the wind blowing the chains, or is it a ghost rattling the chains? Perhaps our guest today can tell us. Dan, who's our guest? Our guest is my friend Erin Foley-Chan. You may know her as the head writer for the big fantasy debate on Facebook, or perhaps supervising producer for the big fib on Disney+. Plus. She's done comedy stuff for years and years and years, except for the parts where she wasn't doing comedy stuff. And I'm glad that we have her on, Erin Foley-Chan. Hello! Yay! I am hey. running in here at 98.6, nice and comfy. <laughs> not too hot, not too cold, just regular uh-huh. average. Yeah. Middle porridge. Although I did, I did tell Sammy yesterday, I did inform him that the inside of your mouth is a blistering. Ninety-eight point six degrees, but that a, but that. Uh, what my was the mouth? No, no. What was the product where where uh, your mouth is much much cooler? Why was he asking about my mouth? Yeah, no. I was talking about Stewart's. I also like. I mean, the notion that it is blisteringly hot in your mouth, that the heat inside your mouth is, well, I assume, is the, causing blisters this, within your own mouth. This, this was some kind of cold mint. I forgot what it was now, but they would say, it'd be like, and it would show some with fire all around them, and they would go, bleh, bleh, as if 98.6 degrees in your mouth was the same as, like, a boiling pot of yeah, water. Yeah, not Did he, your body temperature. I've never gone around and be like, see a, healthy body temperature. Did he see temperature. a picture of my mouth, or... <laughs> Did you tell him a story about it? I he mean, had a lot. Of, he has a lot of questions about your mouth, Stuart. Yeah. Papa, what temperature is Stuart's mouth? <laughs> oh, wow. You met him. Yeah, that's what he sounds like. Now, uh, I, I I know Aaron because um, she uh, actually uh, was the coach for a co- my bad improv group practice group back in the old days uh, when I was first in New York and uh, doing that UCB grind. And, uh, she, you guys were great. Uh, you don't have to say that anymore. Uh, oh, that's right. And uh, that's an interesting coach. That's an interesting coaching technique. If all you do is tell them they're great, everything mm-hmm. is perfect. It. Don't change. Don't learn or grow. You're there. Yeah. And then we we uh, we reconnected years later when she was uh, going to school at Columbia and I was uh, working there in a in a in a, in a closet. And uh, we uh, had some good times having meals and complaining about uh, the comedy world. Um, now, to, now, to explain to the listeners, Dan was working in a closet because you were working as a mop at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I wish I was a mop. I aspired to be one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I started out as a Swiffer. So, 
I mean, I feel like a Swiffer is kind She's of an upgrade like the, against the a mop. Frozen. I mean, yeah, a mop was invented by what, wet. Mickey Mouse? Uh, <laughs> yeah, a mop yeah. was invented by Mickey Mouse with a magic spell, I mean, whereas the Swiffer was invented by J.R. Swiffer, uh, who went on to be the father of J.R. <laughs> R. Tolkien, who in turn okay. was the father of J.K. Rowling. Now, Stuart, oh. I, I think I can... <laughs> who is trash? So it... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing up trash, Elliot. <laughs> I think, uh, hey, we'll just take, we'll just pick up the trash you brought up. I'll take it outside and throw it in a fucking garbage can. <laughs> why don't you throw it in my? Why don't you throw it in the broken garbage cans I have that the city of Los Angeles will be replacing on Wednesday, and I'm so excited about now, it. Oh, nice yeah. brag. I don't know why I feel <laughs> compelled to push back against this, but uh, I, I maybe it's because I feel that. I can teach Stuart a lesson about how the new ways aren't necessarily the best ways. Like, a Swiffer is a much less effective method of getting one's, uh, one's floor clean than a mop. Is it more convenient? Yes. Do I want to use a mop? No. But when it comes to doing its job, a mop is tops. So but that's the a about- boss's perspective, though. <laughs> From the actual yeah. device, would you rather yeah. be sweeping up dry garbage or wet garbage? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's look at it from the artificial labor uh, point of view. The thing that, with the object, what's the object thing? Well, that's why on today's Everything is Alive, we'll be talking to a mop and a Swiffer. Yeah. Uh, hi, was... my name's Marty, I'm a mop. Uh, I guess I've always been a mop. I didn't apply for the job. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's me, Jimmy Swiffer. You know, Swiffers are newer than mops, but I still think we do a good job. Thank you, uh-huh. that was Everything is Alive. <laughs> by Jonathan Sapper so, some, some episodes are really horrifying. <laughs> yeah, they are. There's the one. I, did they ever do one about an egg? I can't remember if it's because I, I I would like to do an episode where it's an egg and it's like just don't break me. I li- every day I live in fear that someone's gonna smash now, me. Hold on. Did they ever do one about an egg? Are you talking about the? Is this a real show or? Yeah, everything is alive. It's a real podcast. What? What? Yeah, it's a real podcast where items are alive. You gotta listen to it sometime. Hmm. Did they do a toilet one? I don't think they've done a toilet. They did do soap at one point. Look, you go listen to it. They do a great job. Now, who is this <laughs> podcast geared to? People who want to anthropomorphize their objects so that they feel bad about using them okay. for the jobs that they are meant That's to be used for. That's what I was wondering, because like, I could sort of see this for uh, a child, but for an adult, I'm like, well, you're just lying to me and making me feel bad about the things I'm using no, these no, it for. No, no, it makes you think about the world from a different perspective. It's well worth it. Okay, so this is a podcast called The Flophouse. <laughs> we review other podcasts that some of the co-hosts are not a, sure are real podcasts. Dan, that's what we do on this podcast, right? Uh, incorrect. This is a podcast <laughs> where we watch a movie that we have been led to believe is a flop, either uh, critically or commercially. And Not a mop. Then we watch it, mm-hmm. and then we get on the inner tubes to talk about it uh, into mm-hmm. your ears. Oh, yeah, actually, that's good. People don't really realize that we're actually all recording while in inner tubes <laughs> on lazy rivers at different parts of the country. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, so... We lose more microphones this way. Okay, well, uh, you know, I think this has been the best opening to a show maybe ever. Uh, not just our show, yeah. but in, in the world. Yeah. So we can't do any better. So let's just get on to the thing that we do. Yeah. Uh, which is... Which is? talk about this movie. Now, uh, this movie uh-huh. is Between Worlds. It stars uh-huh. Nicolas Cage, and of course... Wait yeah. a minute. What season is it, Dan? What special time of year would make us watch this movie. Yeah, well, normally. That's right. Is that St. Nick flying <laughs> yeah. across the sky? Oh, yeah. It's Cagemas in July. St. Nick is flying across the sky wearing a t-shirt and shorts 
because he's July time. I mean, I feel like he's pretty sure he's wearing leather everything and a crazy alligator t-shirt. That's true, and his face is painted like a skull. Is that noise the jingling of jingle bells, or is it the jingling of chains of a ghost? (laughs) Oh, we turn to you, expert Aaron Foley to tell us. Now, you're a chain audio expert, and chains are often used to keep people in cages. So that's why we have Mm -hmm. you on today for Cage of July. Now, how did you become an expert on the sounds chains make and what is causing the chains to make those sounds? Well, you know, I was born into it. I didn't ask for it to happen to me. I certainly wouldn't have chosen it for Mm -hmm. myself, but I come from a long line of chain audio (laughs) experts. Um, Mm -hmm. My my mama was a chain expert. My papa was a chain expert. Chain experts all the way down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and the name Chan sounds like chain. Yeah. And I am trapped in this life <laughs> of chains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I going to say? Now, speaking of chains and cages, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Is we the star we do this movie. thing mm-hmm. in December called uh, Cagemas, where we, as Stuart indicated, celebrate the life and teachings of St. Nicholas Cage. And uh, we also do Cagemas in July, which is a thing that I believe I've forgotten about for the last couple of years. So. And it's named after everyone's second least favorite Preston Sturgis movie, Christmas in July. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'd have to go to the go to the list to make that judgment. Mm, everyone's least favorite is the one about the invention of uh, ether gas for dentistry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and the second least favorite is Christmas is in July. A, is that a, a drama and not one of his comedies? The it is a drama, mm. I think. Yeah, it's called what the. The Great Moment or something like that? The, the uh, um, oh boy. Never Been Kissed is what you're thinking of. <laughs> yeah, Never Been Kissed, that's I what bo- it was. I, yeah, uh, yeah, The Great Moment. I both remember liking Christmas in July and also that I remember nothing about it other than I liked it, so. Now, a lot of the Christmas in July uh, uh, twists on whether or not coffee makes you sleepy mm-hmm. or helps you wake up. That's right. It's, just something, it's, it's, it's the bunk, something about that. If, it's, if you can't sleep, it's not the coffee. It's the bunk. Yeah. That's the slogan that the guy... Anyway, we're not here oh, to review Christmas great. in July. Is that, the, is that the movie we're talking about? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, we're here to talk about it. Christmas in July. Between worlds. A really fun thing about this is um, trying to guess in the moment what's going to get cut and what's going to make it in. Mm. Oh, <laughs> Nothing gets cut until oh. I say something that someone might take the wrong way, in which case we cut that stuff. And then uh, so, I do a little... <laughs> and then we cut it out. Yeah. So, Between Worlds, this was a big-budget summer tentpole release, right? Uh, no. Uh, actually, that uh, uh, links right directly into what I have in my notes here, which is the first thing you see in this film is, of course... Oh, we should mention, Dan's doing the summary this 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 episode, so it's going to be a bumpy ride. Let's take it, Dan. <laughs> Jeez. Fasten your earbuds. We are off-roading. Wait till I do something wrong before saying that, Elliot. Don't... Uh... Fair point, fair point. Okay, so the first thing we see... You're setting me up for failure. We, we see a couple of production companies you've uh, likely never heard of. I, I do believe I have seen these before, but probably just because we do this podcast and we have become a connoisseur of little-known production companies. I mean... The the first one is Saban Films, which, of course, is Chaim Saban. Ah, yes, okay. he's a, so, he's, yeah, yes, he's a big name. I missed that one, but there was, like, Voltage and uh, something else. I don't, like, Voltage yeah. Pictures, uh, you may know, uh, they for the movie Don John, I think, was one of theirs. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the one where uh, it's bad to jack off. That's the movie? Yes, that's the <laughs> one where, where internet porn almost ruins uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's ability to interact with, with human women. 
The thing I remember about that movie is they spent a lot of time. Uh, they, the one thing that movie really gets right is fellows taking off their button-down shirts to eat their Italian meals, just wearing their uh, their their, their sleeveless underarm shirts. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> now, I mean, Voltage also made The Hurt Locker. They made oh, Dallas wow. Buyers Club. Yeah, but then they had kind of they haven't done anything at that at that level for a little while. Okay, well, uh, now that we've uh, finished that trip down Voltage Lane, um, <laughs> we are introduced... You brought it up! <laughs> we are introduced to Nicolas Cage, who uh, in this film plays Joe. Now, Joe, this guy is a uh, trucker with um, world-class greasy long hair and uh, beard, and he wears uh, mm-hmm. several rings on his hands, and he has a hat that says Turkey and the Wolf, and... Um, the mm-hmm. first uh, is that available for purchase anywhere? Maybe at the Voltage Pictures yeah. website. Between Worlds merch. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah. We, the first we hear Joe saying something is he owes some money to someone uh, that he's talking to on the phone. So right away we get the sense that Joe is living the high life. He's at the top of his as game. As if you couldn't tell by, as if you couldn't tell by looking at him and seeing his kind of like homeless man meets caveman aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Joe is not in a good place. Yes. Yeah, it's tough to tell whether or not he's a sleazebag or he's just a a guy in a difficult position, and we'll find out that uh, the former is the case. Um, So then... Oh, I don't know about that. He's got a little bit of both. He's a scoundrel. (laughs) (laughs) I I think he starts off as less of a scoundrel than he ends up. (laughs) That's true. His performance really ramps up. He, he, the first half of the movie, Nicholas, I'm like, oh, okay, Nicholas Cage is playing one of his nice guy roles. And the second half of the movie, I'm like, he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he, is, he is completely gone off around the bend. But. Yeah, and right from, right from the jump, we see this is going to be a high-energy performance. Like, he is, he is in, in this movie. There's no question. I, 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 uh, yeah. I, this, this is not one of, his, one of his, like, Euro thriller roles where he's just kind of sleepwalking through it. Like, he's really throwing himself Yeah, this in isn't that. Kill Chain. And I w- yeah, yes. I would say thank you. Exactly, thank you. Yes, <laughs> I would say that um, this character would be a man who has been, uh, you know, driven round the bend by circumstance and uh, a sympathetic figure, but for one big factor that I think that we shall get to uh, later. Uh, yeah, probably. We'll <laughs> <laughs> get to it. Um, so cut to uh, a big butt crack on the screen. And this is mm-hmm. this is a, uh, a a gentleman who is uh, working at the gas station in the Seven Eleven, and uh, Joe comes in paying for food. He says some wacky Nicolas Cage stuff before hearing something in the restroom, a disturbance, and he goes in <laughs> and he see, he f- sees this woman who is played by Franca Patente, who uh, you may know from Run Lola Run or The Born Identity. Yeah. She's the titular run yeah. of Run Lola Run. <laughs> and the identity. Inborn identity. <laughs> well, she's one of... In a way. She is one of the runs. The other one is Run DMC, plays Run number two. Uh-huh. Right, Rev Run, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's Franco Patente, Run DMC, and uh, Lola Montez. <laughs> Finally, together in one film. And uh, so uh, she, he sees this woman being uh, choked by a large man in the restroom and, um, you know, uh, uh, rightfully uh, assumes that she is being attacked and he tr- he uh-huh. intervenes, he chases the man off, like, beats him up a little bit. I think you mean understandably assumes. 
Understandably assumed. Because he turns out not to be right. Well, I, yeah, I was, I was, in <laughs> fact, thank you, Elliot. You saw that I could not think of the word, and you corrected me, even though we had passed that point. But yeah, uh, I mean, but not very, but not by very much. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, she is instead mad that this choking has been interrupted, and she starts mm-hmm. yelling that um, Nick Cage has ruined it. And I want to say the. Here, right off the bat, I want to say that the, the, the style of the movie is weird. The style is weird, and as the movie went on, I got more on its wavelength and vibe and and started to enjoy the style, but I can't tell whether it's just getting making that adjustment or that the early scenes are done a lot worse. Like, it's hard to say in my mind, because in these early scenes, I was like, everyone's talking so strangely and talking past each other and nothing they're saying seems to connect with anything and the framings are strange like it, it and then it all kind of resolved for me as it went along but I don't know whether you had this experience or not I think the tone felt off the whole time for me yeah. I mean I I got what the movie was going for as we got into the second act but I really, I was taking this movie more seriously than uh, it wanted me to, I think. Yeah, um, there's, the, on, on Wikipedia, uh, they mentioned that the director, Maria Palera, that says she initially wrote the film as a standard thriller, but later made it, quote, a much more surreal drama in the vein of David Lynch. And that kind of explains a lot of yeah. it to me, which is someone being that, like... Are you talking did, about the Angelo Badalamente, uh, like... Music? Yeah. Well, and also the fact that like leader of the pack will start well, playing it. Yeah. Like it, it feels like someone looked at da- a David Lynch movie and was like, "What does he do?" Okay, it's like kind of yeah. weird, and there's a lot of like '50s music. Okay, yeah. got it. And <laughs> instead of it coming naturally from them, and like even a, in a David Lynch movie, he'll start off the movie with something that tells you this is going to be a weird movie. Like, yeah. like the 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 best example of that is probably in Blue Velvet, where like everything looks fine, and then there's that ear with all the ants on it, and it's like okay, I'm going to tell you exactly what this movie is right at the beginning. And she doesn't do that, and it feels like someone le- trying to do that kind of thing, but it's yeah. not coming naturally to yeah. them. Yeah, it feels like it feels like if this that this movie was made by somebody who wanted to capture the feeling of Twin Peaks, but only the James Hurley riding around on a motorcycle stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's favorite parts of Twin Peaks. Now, <laughs> Al- Elliot, it's, it somewhat surprises me that the that Wikipedia line unlocked the mystery for you and not the scene where they were sitting and the Angelo Baldamenti score sounded exactly like his theme for Audrey, <laughs> like just slightly tweaked mm-hmm. so as not to, I guess, infringe upon his own copyright. Uh, like it could not have been more <clears throat> Twin Peaksy the music. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. It wasn't until I read that that I was like, "Is she?" Well, I mean, I didn't. I, I read that relatively early because mm-hmm. I was also like, "What's going on with this movie?" Hold on, I'm gonna have to take a look and see. Because unlike you guys, I didn't get to watch it all in one sitting. Dad life. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag dad life. Hashtag dad life. Yeah, gotta watch your movies in pieces. Uh, yeah, but well, I, I will say that up top that the yeah the, there's a theme by Angelo Badalamenti that sounds like he just picked it out of his B sides for Twin Peaks. And then the, there's a lot of uh, uh, score that sounds like people trying to do other uh, Lynch scores. But anyway, um, so he saves this woman. Now, why was why was she so mad that he interrupted her choking? Well, <laughs> well, before I get exactly to that, I, w- I want to say that like she says she says that he's ruined it. Uh, they have like a, a lot of shouting out in the 
in the uh, parking lot where at one point she like asks him whether he has uh, kids and he he goes yeah I got a wife and kids oops they're dead and I'm like wow this is a lot for you to be loading on this woman right away Nicholas Cage um, that moment that moment was great for me though because I from the trailer I thought this was going to be a more understated performance from Cage. <laughs> And mm-hmm. very early on, he just went full gonzo. And uh, I appreciated it because then I just buckled up and I was ready for this movie to go off the rails. Oh, and like, I feel like I, I was like, that's a, that's a big moment from him. And then there are scenes later on where I was like, mm, this is one of the understated moments. <laughs> <laughs> During that scene, I can almost see Franco Potenta like watching Nicolas Cage and like, okay, I got to figure out how to match this guy for this scene. <laughs> Because she is, she's really like underplaying things, if in the beginning at least, in a way that I really liked. Franco Patente. Yeah. Like, she feels so much more real in this movie than anybody else, which it turns out is not the way the movie wants anything to happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's, uh, but I, I actually liked her a lot in this. Yeah. I mean, I, she's always great and one of those people where you're like, okay, well, I wish that past a certain point her career had kept going the way it did at its peak. But, um, Anyway, she now we're all who's, now we're who's all someone, bummed. Who's someone whose career went past went the way at their peak that it kept when you didn't want it to happen? <laughs> Wait, that they kept having a peak? That someone who kept having successes and you were like, ugh, why can't this person's career just go downhill? Uh, our president. Boom. Let's move on. Anyway, <laughs> wow, topical, relevant. Uh-huh. Let's keep going. Uh, well, I'm making a stand. Um, so she asked for a ride to the hospital because her daughter. Uh, has been in an accident while uh, racing her motorcycle, and when 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 uh, she asks for this hospital ride, Cage hears some sirens and he seems spooked by them. Even though like the thing he said was he earlier was like nine one one's already been called, like when rescuing her. So I don't know whether he was lying about that. It seems like a weird incongruity that he suddenly is like, "Ooh, the fuzz! I got to get out of here." But um, somebody filed that one under goofs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her daughter is in a coma at the hospital at that moment and uh, Franca goes into this monologue about how she almost died as a kid and uh, I believe this is what we saw over the credits where she's in like a frozen lake over the credits we see kind of two young girls like adolescent girls floating in a frozen lake and one of them seems awake and the other one seems not yeah so what what this has given her is the ability to uh, go over to the other side, but only when she cannot breathe. Only when she is, say, being choked. Um, and, you know, Nicolas Cage accepts this pretty well, <laughs> I think. He seems on board with it. <laughs> um, and so we go to the hospital, and uh, Franca's daughter uh, starts to code, and the mom says, Hey, Nicolas Cage, my new friend, you got to choke me. You gotta choke me so I can go fix this. And I kind of am not sure what exactly she was supposed to have done on the other side, but it saves her daughter. It's it's never clear. Yeah. She like I think she like ushers the spirit back into the body. Like that's kind of her role. <laughs> she just points. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so of course Nicolas Cage chokes her in a stairwell. And every t- it feels like every time somebody gets choked, they have to get lifted up off the ground, which is. I don't know, weird. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's like they're all being choked by superheroes. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. is, uh, yeah. Um, so they have... Uh, uh, do you think Do you think she's pulling She's pulling that move where she gets choked and then she ends up in the afterlife and she's like, 
where's a supervisor I can talk to? Excuse me, excuse me. Like, Charon is about to row her daughter across the River Mm -hmm. Styx, and she's like, where's your manager? Can I talk to your manager, please? And he's like, like, oh. Hades is pretty busy right now. He's Uh, got this marriage uh, problem. (laughs) Actually, I'm the manager. Uh, Sure you are. Can I, (laughs) let me talk to you. Um, yeah, Hades is like, Hades is like, Charon, can you not deal with this? I only get so much time with, with Persephone. Can you just, like, mm-hmm. take care of this? Uh, so as uh, Franca is going out of the room, the nurse is talking to her and says, like, it worked, but be careful. She's been to the other side now. And I'm like, does everyone understand the rules of this? Like, what is this nurse coming out? I mean, this is this is the kind of common thing where non-white people have a have a have a stronger connection to the mystical realms than white people and this and nurse kind of out of no it's it's a real it's uh, in the south so there's like maybe a voodoo component i don't know I don't she know did she had reading. an accent we're not really sure what this nurse's deal is why she knows that that's what franca left the room and she's like well she obviously went to get choked uh, yeah. but mm-hmm. like we don't know how she knows what's going on but oh, she it's, does it's, she is it is a it is a fairly racist stereotype way to use the character well, sure. she's a, it's, yeah. she's like a she's like a caribbean possibly nurse and so of course she's all up on voodoo i guess and like can can sense what's going on with souls and it's a uh and when she comes back later i was uh she comes back later and i was like oh so i didn't dream that moment <laughs> yeah. where a random nurse no, that was... Was, was just <laughs> keeping tabs on i guess has a cb radio <laughs> tuned into the spirit police band no, no, it... but it's a yeah, it's a, it's a there's a, a long line of those things. It does seem later on when she comes back and she's like, okay, well, gotta go to the local Miss Cleo to fix this, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, it was weird. Uh, so during this time, uh, Nicholas Cage is like a weird interaction with the daughter as she comes out of her coma. Does that happen around now, or yeah, is that later? I, I yeah, well, remember. he has some he has some visions of his uh, of his dead wife, right? Yeah, well, there's mm-hmm. he has dreams that seem to mix the wife and daughter together, foreshadowing, and um, and the daughter wakes up and immediately like takes to Nick Cage like you know a duck imprinting on her mother like uh, but with like a sex mm-hmm. a sex thing, not like a you know what that was a terrible terrible metaphor. Point is, <laughs> she loves she loves this guy right off the bat. And, Did and, anyone else yeah, she- think that Nicolas Cage was psychic? Because the way that the cuts happened throughout the film, there would be a kind of sneak peek of something else that happens later Mm. flashing in front of him where he'd be like, oh, yeah, let's do that thing. And then it would actually happen. I thought that he was psychic, too, that there was some kind of a connection. But then um, it was just the movie that was psychic and knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I got the feeling it was one of those situations where he wasn't like psychic in general, but he had been found himself like caught up in this supernatural scenario where he was bound by destiny. Yeah. Do you think there was a moment where he sat down with the filmmaker and was like, so I was in this movie next mm-hmm. where I saw what happened next. <laughs> How about, I could just do that in this one too. Right. Why don't I just like, would it make, wouldn't it make my character more interesting if he knew what was going to happen? And then it's like, he's guilty of everything because he could have kind of stopped it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you only have me for five days and I'm kind of <laughs> running out the clock with this conversation. So we are you going to shoot some scenes? You're going to let me just kind of use up all the time you booked me for because then you got to pay for more time. And the director's like, I can't believe I'm talking to Nicolas Cage. This is amazing. <laughs> yes. And so 
Franca uh, gets a ride home from Nick Cage and invites... Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, gets a ride well, from Nick Cage is right. Well, yeah, wow. she invites him in, and he is a quick flash, maybe he is psychic, of them having sex. At, like, it's like a really quick mm-hmm. flash, and then he's like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, so I guess that's a joke. Um, and uh, while she's getting stuff... Uh, Nicholas Cage keeps falling asleep and having these little visions, which I guess is because he's a trucker and he's tired all the time yeah. as a trucker. But he's a, a crossroad trucker who is constantly popping caffeine pills and yeah. drinking from a flask. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a very... I think he even... I think he, the first thing he does after he saves Franca Potenta from being choked is he offers her, like, no-dos or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a normal way to interact with other well, people, well, guys. She's also a trucker. So, like, I get that's just trucker etiquette, you know? Oh, right, right. Yeah. Well, it is a... Yeah, I, I don't know the culture. Alarming either. portrait of uh, long-haul truckers. Probably accurate due to the uh, forces that make them do those long hauls and have to uh, drive so much but <laughs> frightening I, lo- I I want that to be the quote on the DVD box now from Between Worlds probably accurate Dan McCoy the Flophouse <laughs> I just know that there's a lot of pressure on them to do like uh, anyway um, so she gives him whiskey uh, and suddenly he doesn't want to have sex for a moment but then they have very aggressive sex right away yeah. like this is uh, you know you gotta work up to He's that out of practice you know Zero yeah. percent chance that she enjoyed a second of it. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is by far the most graphic sex movie I think Nicolas Cage has ever made, right? Uh, Just in oh, terms, maybe. Is there oh one, well. Is there one you can think of where he is where he is in his sex is more intense and vigorous, and also it is so clear that in some of the scenes he's not wearing clothes. Uh, what about leaving Las Vegas? Yeah. Leaving Las Vegas. He, I remember there was a HJ scene. It was a hand job. That's what HJ oh, is. Oh, okay. Cool. Thanks. Um, yeah. I do remember the HJ. I don't, the handy, but I don't remember anything else from that movie at all. I just, he is, he is so, he is so like either covering a woman's body or covered by a woman's body in the scenes in this movie in a way I'm not used to what? seeing. From what about Zandali, Elliot? Zandali. I've never seen Zandali. The erotic thriller that also has uh, Judge Reinhold in it. Um, I've only seen the clips on YouTube that say worst accent and, ever, Zandali. And, uh, <laughs> what's his face, Zach Galligan? Um, now, here's, now, here's the thing about this movie. Here's where I started thinking, hey, movie, there's a good movie here about Nicolas Cage and Franco Patonte as, like, two people who have been really beaten down by life and are kind of grudgingly and kind of reluctantly finding love with each other and mm-hmm. aren't quite sure what to make of it and aren't quite sure to what to make of each other and are fearful of getting close with someone again. That mm-hmm. is not what this movie is, though. This movie kind of teased me with a character study that I would have really liked and which I think the two of them could have handled really beautifully. And then it went back into supernatural sh- shenanigans. But for this brief moment, I was like, movie, you showed me what might have been. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they I mean, they even address they even address that Franca Potenta is a German national who moved to uh, moved to the south uh, Mobile, Alabama, after marrying a Marine and that his her uh, her ex-husband's, you know, uh, trauma uh, drove them apart, especially when he found out that she could bring dead people back to life. Yeah, that really threw him off. I got a counterpoint to what you just said, Elliot, which is um, the movie you just described sounds really boring Mm -hmm. and there's no ghosts in it. So. Okay, interesting. I mean, the movie I've described, there are many good 
movies mm, about two people who've been hurt by life who are fa- trying to find think love. So. Um, they might be haunted, all- but there are no ghosts. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. They're haunted by their pasts, as opposed to haunted by a ghost that it's it's weird. It feels like it doesn't feel like so. So uh, Penelope Mitchell is plays the daughter, who, as we'll mm-hmm. find out, is has 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 Joe's wife inside her. But it was almost like the ghost was doing a bad impression of Joe's wife. That was the <laughs> yeah. like I it, it felt really weird. It was like does uh-huh. the, does does this ghost really know who she's talking to or any of those things? Uh, okay. Well. Uh, before we move on, though, I, w- I do want to say it's been a while since you brought it up, but with regard to the uh, number of sex scenes in this involving Nicolas Cage, I found this uh, from the director. There's an interview with the director. It's not that illuminating because... Um, oh, Dan, everything is illuminating, though. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I know it's called Everything is Illuminated, but come on. Okay, anyway. the uh, Yeah, it's a reach. The, you get personal I, I do have this one quote I wanted to read, which goes, We kept adding sex scenes. Like, we had Nicolas Cage with three different ladies in the movie, and we just had eight or nine sex scenes. We just kept adding them and adding them. It works pretty well, but when you see the end result of the movie, it works. But when you're telling everyone, wait, wait, we have two more sex scenes here, they're going, what? So that's... <laughs> quote. Um, I wonder how many of those sex scenes were added day of shooting, where they were like, can we actually just do a reset and do another one of these? They're like, it's raining, and we don't have any, we only have outdoor scenes to shoot. I guess, strip them off, Nick. Time for you to, time for you to have some love. you got a dynamo like Nick Cage on set. you got to get as many sex scenes taped as you can and figure it out later. Especially when mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage is in, let's just say it, perfect shape. Well, okay, I don't want to... On the one hand, I look, he's got a perfectly fine, like, middle-aged man's body, like a normal middle-aged man's body. I don't want to shame uh-huh. anyone. But there is, like, a funny part later on where, like, uh, Cage is, like, flirting with Franca Patente, and he's like, oh, you know, I sleep in the nude. And he's, like, taking his shirt on, and he's like, that, is that a problem? And she's, like, giggling, and she's, like, waving her hand over his entire torso. And he's like, yeah, this is a problem. And it's impossible not to take it as, like... Yeah, Nick Cage, you don't look great in this movie compared to like the way we have seen you at times. <laughs> like, like, and also he's and he's so he's also just so like kind of greasy and oily yeah, exactly. in the movie. Yeah. He looks like he has never showered. In I think he does take a shower in one scene, and he comes out still looking like he has never bathed. Mm-hmm. He yeah. does get yeah. hosed down. Yes, well, that's true. We'll well, that hosing down hosed scene. Down. Uh, that's there's that scene. <laughs> well, when we get to it, I'll talk about it. But it reminded me of a scene in the Nicolas Cage Elijah Wood movie. What the Pact is that? What it's called? And I think where, so. where he is just doing. You just see him doing a dance to entertain his coworkers, and I'm like, this is when I like Nicolas Cage the most. <laughs> when he's like just doing silly stuff to fill out a montage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, getting back to we left off. Stuart was right. Uh, Franca Patente gave for the whole story about her life. Um, and then there's a title card that says three days later and Cage has stuck around. It's a little weird that there's this one title card in the movie, by the way, for such a short, it's short span of time. Uh, I hope it is done for effects because otherwise it's a strange choice, but, um, uh, he still it feels like it was added later when they were watching it and they were like, mm, would she really be coming home the next day from the hospital? Yeah. Let's make it. Th- and also, he was on his way to deliver his truckload to Biloxi and is mm-hmm. now three days late to deliver, which is which, going to yeah. be I a did, problem. Which and is, I did a little I did a little research. That's an under hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> that drive from Mobile to Biloxi is under an hour. He could have gone amazing. and come back easily. 
There's no yeah, reason he, he couldn't have he said, okay, you have lunch. I'll be back in a little bit after I drop <laughs> oh, this off. Oh, that is amazing. Uh, Stuart, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did some geographic detecting there. That was some real Carmen San Diego stuff. <laughs> so, okay, the daughter. So earlier, when Dan's called him a long haul trucker, I don't know if that's. <laughs> I guess you should not. say haul trucker. Oh, look, I was. I think that's more of a courier. I was, <laughs> I was relying on the movie's like, missing scene. I didn't go to the external source of a map. <laughs> yeah. It's so but, funny if he's like he del- he stops and they're like, we ordered this pizza three days ago. <laughs> How are you just delivering it now? <laughs> Uh, so, okay, the daughter's come back from the hospital. Nick has stunk around, stuck around. Uh, he's putting her to... And stunk he's around. Stunk around. <laughs> you got to assume. You have to assume, <laughs> based on... Yeah. But uh, he's putting her to bed. He says, the more the, you rest, the better you'll feel, and the better you feel, the more you'll heal. And uh, I, th- I think the line is both meant to be funny and it is still dumb. <laughs> um, and uh, she lunges at him, saying that he's always leaving her. And she wants a kiss goodbye. And there's some uh, driving guitar in the background. Mm-hmm. That hard rock suddenly jumps mm-hmm. in. And, uh, you know, Franca has a little soul searching. She blames herself for her daughter falling in with a bad crowd that wants to street race. And they don't even want to, mm-hmm. like, you know, rob banks or anything to finance it. Nope. Um, and I mean, they are drug dealers. Oh, really? Is that why yeah. they're robbing yeah. them later on? I, I missed that part of it. Yeah. But. Yeah. That was yeah, I, I, you might have mentioned one of the several times when when Franco referred to them as drug dealers. <laughs> well, they seem she like she does such, steal drugs from him too. They yeah. are the most likable characters, though. They just seem like a couple of well-meaning goofballs. Uh, Franco Patente is clearly the most likable character in the movie. Uh, She's just yeah. a mom trying to trying to okay, get the job okay. done, even if that means being strangled. I guess mm-hmm. I guess I am reacting to the degree to which. Um, their actual attitude seems to clash with <laughs> what like danger they are there. the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. And you like that that punk music that they're listening to in their they house? Listen to some Black Black yeah. Flag there. Yeah, yeah, that's what teenagers do: is they listen to Black Flag <laughs> and smoke weed and then dance to it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit with a woman who is there for a second and then walks away, and we never see her again. And maybe they imagined her. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love all of it. I would. If anything, she chose the right time to leave. Maybe she was a plant. Maybe she was oh. like the lookout. She's like, okay, they're good and high and all worked up from their Black Flag music. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sneak out and you can go bust them in the head. Maybe mm-hmm. she was there to buy weed and they were like, well, first we got to dance. And she's like, oh, God, I always have to dance with Rick before I can leave. Um, <laughs> so... Cage is leaving. Uh, he's comforting Franca. He takes a swig of the prescription medicine behind her back, uh, which was a little funny moment. And his boss is, in my opinion, extremely reasonably mad <laughs> that he's three days late <laughs> delivering this shit. I think he is very reasonably mad. Yeah. Does not want to pay. He yeah. He, he's, docked, he's docking him for his time, and Nicolas Cage is acting like this is a huge injustice. Well, he, in fact, says, that's dog shit. It's not even bullshit. It's dog shit. Um, and to compound the problems, uh, repo men come and take his truck that has all his personal stuff from his dead wife and daughter in there. Um, anyway, so Cage returns um, to the, uh, the house with the, the, the ladies. Uh, because he's got mm-hmm. no place else to go, in the words yep. of an officer and a gentleman, and uh, he's walking around. Now, who who said it, the officer or the gentleman? Uh, check your notes. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're allowed to use notes for this part of the test. Yeah, this is not from memory. Did you put it on? Did you program it into your TI-82 calculator? <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. No, just I was looking at my notes and I like skipped it. I, I skipped ahead, but I didn't really skip ahead of anything that important. Like the just the daughter acting weird around the house and the friends wanting to come in and uh and and see her. Although. It's funny. There's a line that I like, which which endeared these two doofus drug dealers to me. Where um, most likable characters in the movie says Fran- Dan. <laughs> Franca is like blaming them for you know everything that happened, and saying that like they suck, and and the one guy doesn't realize they're talking about him, and then and the other guy explains like no, she means us, and he goes, we kind of suck, but we're not that influential, and I love that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow, that's kind of that's kind of me. <laughs> oh wow, looking into a mirror, that's rough. Yeah, so this is the moment where like it seems like the movie that you guys were looking for, the idea uh, that you were looking for, Elliot, where like he, it looks like Nicolas Cage has burned th- uh, burned through his last uh, bridge. He has nowhere else to go. He convinces Franco Potenta's character to let him stay there. They have like a kind of fun scene of them sitting around uh, smoking weed and being weird and laughing about the concept of goo-goo eyes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the whole time, uh, the daughter, Billy, is watching it, uh, making kind of weird faces. (laughs) And uh, and then they start, uh, Nicolas Cage and Franco Potente start having a very strange lovemaking session on the couch. This is, I have to assume this is all Nicolas Cage ad-lib. I have to assume. And and the daughter's uh, Billy is still watching the scene, and I feel like at this point she's the audience surrogate. Like she's like, because, because what, like is ha- what am what, I watching? What is Nicolas Cage requesting specifically from Franco Patente in this scene? I don't have my notes, Elliot. <laughs> that he talked to that he she talked to him like Linda Blair in The Exorcist. Right. Oh. He's saying he's saying say say fuck me fuck me like Linda Blair. Come on, say it like in The Exorcist. You know, like in The Exorcist. And it's such a weird request and again i don't want to kink shame anybody if your thing is pretending that i guess you're max von Sydow and your partner is linda blair and she is a possessed girl uh, and you're actually doing it with the devil that's uh, totally okay but it is a strange thing to suddenly be brought in as an interest for nicholas cage's character no, i think that what you're saying is elliot is it's um beyond specific into like <laughs> ob- obscure and, and strange and uh and uh, the and oddly foreshadowing what happens in the movie. I was not yeah well that too I was not surprised to learn that about half of this movie was improvised <laughs> dialogue wise so now, it seems yeah around- Nicholas Cage I think was just it, they did the thing like they covered the camera he didn't know when it was running and when it wasn't and he just like went wild oh I bet he would have loved that yeah <laughs> so he doesn't know what they're capturing and what they're not. Uh, now this is when Billy enters what I would refer to as her underpants well, portion of the movie. I do want to. Mm-hmm. I, I want to read what I I have in my notes, which is that uh, she spies on them as they're fixing the truck, and then she walks aggressively, brawlessly down the hall, looking at her family photos <laughs> as if she doesn't recognize them. <laughs> like, look, I mean, I I understand if you're at home, you don't want to wear a bra. I, I I get it. I do not. Like have it's to, pandemic times. Yeah. Like nobody's wearing bras. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, though, about that scene specifically. I had a strong reaction to that because um, the actress who plays Billy, she's she's not perfectly symmetrical. And I really appreciated that they just kind of let her be asymmetrical. And because that's many, many women's bodies are asymmetrical in that way. Their breasts are different sizes, hang different lengths. And um, and it was like oddly really affirming and felt very body positive to me. <laughs> it, 
Is the is the line their sisters not twins? I can't remember what the comedian <laughs> said. Oh, yeah. I like I I you know I find it heartwarming. Uh, by extension, that you are finding something heartwarming in the movie. Yeah, I really liked it. It was nice. I was really. This is like a really feminist movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right up there so, with Mustang and yeah, sure. Yeah. So B- Billy's behaving strangely. She's clearly not behaving like a teenage girl would. Or maybe not. I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know. Uh, but there's something up. Like, I mean, yeah. I, well, teenage girls, the very teenage next girls thing, I think, don't don't so much routinely trick drifters into seeing them new. Well, right. right? That's the very next yeah. thing is that Nicolas Cage goes to pee uh, uh, and sees the da- his this daughter's uh, butt as she looks at herself nude in the mirror. And, you know, she kind of, like, looks around at him and acknowledges that he's seen her and, uh, and it's uh, disturbing. Um, and really this is probably first... around when I started saying stop it to my TV over and over. <laughs> <laughs> the first half of this movie really feels like it's just the daughter staring kind of menacingly, but we don't really know why and nobody's saying specifically what's happening. They're just kind of dancing around it and it's just her kind of given looks. Yeah. yeah. And what's what's interesting about the movie is there's no slow drip of information, really. It's like what's this mystery? And then it seems like everybody in the movie suddenly knows, oh, yeah, yeah, his wife's ghost is in her body. Like, yeah. there's no... Everyone is just kind of on board suddenly at some moment the switch is flipped, you know? Uh, and directly after that... Spoiler alert. Directly after this is uh, one of the key scenes in the films where uh, Nick Cage and the daughter are uh, watching TV where, uh, where um, Franca Potente is like... It looks like she's got, like, a piglet that she's cooking. I couldn't even... S- it seems like it was a some kind of whole, maybe it was a whole rabbit. I it thought was it was like a rabbit or, or a squirrel. Yeah. I thought it was a rabbit. So she's some beast with the head on that has been plucked clean of skin yes. and fur that's just on a big pan that she's sticking mm-hmm. in the she's oven. She's dealing with this uh, while they're watching television, and uh, the daughter is inappropriately stroking Nick Cage's uh, jeans, and then throws like a, a, a blanket over his lap. To, to disguise the hand job that we are assu- we must only assume that he is receiving at that point and he makes the world's uh, least strong effort to get up and avoid this happening by saying oh I could help you in the kitchen and she's like no 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 it's fine I don't need it and he stays there and it happens and this is the scene that I was he's like well to, I tried <laughs> uh, earlier where he's like one one could posit a film where Nicholas Cage is a sympathetic man who is uh, is brought low by the fact that his dead wife appears to them in the form of the daughter of the woman he has gotten involved with, and there's conflict over that and like missing her and guilt over her, and then like uh, there's a horrifying reveal that we'll get to later at the end of this movie. Except for the fact that Nicholas Cage, even before he knows that this uh, is his wife is like, uh, I guess I'll accept this hand job. Uh, Dan, if you had ever seen... There's a, there's a series of short documentaries online uh, that, in, that posit this very scenario. And if you had ever seen those, okay. you would be impressed at his restraint in that it does not go all the way to full intercourse while, she's, while his uh, ostensible new girlfriend is cooking in the other room. You would think within clear sight, and yet in these documentaries, uh-huh. the other person in the room in the kitchen area never seems to notice what's happening on just behind the couch. And so uh-huh. these documentaries are available all over the internet. I can't yeah. remember exactly uh, who produced them just now. But, those uh, documentaries, I feel 
feel like are more an ad for kitchen islands and their ability to cover an entire person's body. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, there's, you'd be amazed at how common this apparently is, the same scenario, because I've seen so many of these little short documentaries online. They're on lots of different hubs, lots of different hubs, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Many hubs in which you can find these, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is this is also a point when I think it really strikes home that uh, that no blankets on laps should be a more common rule. <laughs> I mean, there is there is no, get that off of there, doing... FDR. What are you doing down there? <laughs> so that's what was going on in his wheelchair. I see, Dan. Okay, sure. Now, you would think even if nothing was actually going on there, it would be weird if Nicolas Cage and uh, and Billy were sharing a blanket. It's just a weird thing. Yeah, you gotta you gotta warm up on a on a cool Alabama night. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're right. This is this his his uh, lack of resistance to this is is skeevy. Yes, yeah, I mean, that. and again, it it could be that could be the point that the movie is making that this guy is like not a nice guy. Full stop. Despite the fact that he's had all these hardships in the well, world, but that's the, there's a, but it just feels like a, a weird a, choice. But there's a version, again, there's a version of this movie that has no supernatural stuff in it where he is a guy who is not a bad guy, but he has no impulse control and he makes bad decisions all the time. And he's trying to start a relationship and he keeps screwing it up because he can't get out of his own way because he's his own worst enemy. Like, there's, like there are movies like that and they're very good movies. I know you think they're boring because they don't have ghosts in them, but, mm-hmm. you know, they, they happen. Although, anyway, in a way, but that's not- isn't a ghost just uh, trauma, like a cycle of trauma repeating itself over and over? Mm. Hmm. Yeah, but even hmm. in the movie you're hmm. describing, yes. Elliot, his behavior wouldn't be or thirteen would cycles be sympathetic, of is what I'm saying. Oh no, no, it would be it be the overall assault of a of a man who cannot stop himself from doing the wrong thing would be sympathetic. But the in the moment, you'd be like, "Come on, what are you doing? Come on, don't do that. Come on." Which is here, I was like, "Movie, don't do this. Come on, movie, <laughs> Come, movie, don't do this." Yeah, stop it. Yeah, I do think this was a turning point where. I stopped trying to root for him yeah. as a character. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. I think that's very fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, so this is this is the, this is kind of like the Cheddar Goblin moment of Mandy, where you're <laughs> like, dude, I know something terrible happened to you, but look at the commercials that air on TV in this crazy world you live in. Like, go for it. <laughs> this is. Um, How can you be mad when there's a Cheddar Goblin on your TV? <laughs> Don't understand that analogy. So Nick fixes. Neither do I, Dan, and I made the it. The daughter's motorcycle, and meanwhile, the daughter's being mean to Franca about her dad leaving. Um, and Nick is. Uh, we cut to him swigging Jack Daniels directly out of the bottle, and he's yelling on the phone because they will not give his personal possessions back, the photos of his wife and daughter, and such, because they're in the truck. And this is where we learn the backstory of their death. Uh, he went away on a job, and the wife, uh, we presume at this point, accidentally set the house on fire uh, with her cigarette and uh, killing his five-year-old daughter as well as the wife. And I got to say, like throughout this movie, I like Cage's performance, and mm-hmm. uh, this is legitimately affecting acting from him. Like, the character is nutty and ill thought out and the movie is 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 wacky but i think he is doing his best with that material to make it uh you know have some some pathos um oh i would always rather see nick cage going for it wholeheartedly yeah. than see him holding back and like the the thing that makes this movie 
like watchable to me is the fact that he is he is just letting himself loose uh rather than yeah, I think rather the two lead I think it. the two leads are pretty good like they put effort in on some level. Yeah. I think it probably helps that, like you were saying, Dan, if a lot of it was ad-libbed, then he was probably like, okay, good, then I get to be the author of this to a certain extent. And that means I actually have to put uh, energy into it. Uh, He's not playing Ghost Rider, which is ironic because he has sex with a ghost in this movie. It is ironic. Uh, Aaron, did you want to say something? Sorry, I feel like... (laughs) You know, I have no memory of what I was going to say, but okay. let's assume it was great. I just didn't want to skip over it. Um, oh, you know, it I think was I was wiped out say, of your head by I think I was going to say that Franca Potente was um, putting real, ex- real energy into creating a character and grounding that character in this kind of wacko world that she was coming at it from a real place of a mother whose daughter almost died. And then Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. took that same amount of energy and put it into his facial expressions and his voice <laughs> modulations. <laughs> they yeah. both were at 100% in different ways. Yeah, uh, that's true. Um, so Franca goes and she uh, pays the guy to get these memories of, of Nick Cage. Meanwhile, he is not uh, uh, upholding his end of the bargain. Of the social contract. <laughs> the, the contract. He is not <laughs> repaying her kindness well because he is uh, continues to lust over her, uh, Franca's daughter, uh, who is lounging at home in her underwear, coming on to him. And she calls him Majors, and he's like, like, how did you know my last name? I'm like, have you not told these people your last name? What? Yeah. He's been with them for weeks. Yeah. Um, but like she, he's freaked out because uh, she says that she is Mary, his his dead wife. You know, confirming what we already all suspected at this point. And um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess the nurse sort of talks about it, being like, "Oh, you know, spirits just hang out around people, and that's how yeah. this happens." But it did, it did kind of. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was funny that like, yeah. okay. Uh, you know, Nicolas Cage happens to like walk into this girl's ho- hospital room, and because I guess his dead wife has just been walking behind him for years, however long she's been dead, like she's like, now's my chance, and jumps in. I don't know. It seems like a crazy way for this. Yeah, story. I mean, it, it it pretty clearly is a situation where Franca Patenta's character uh, just botched her summoning role, <laughs> and instead of summoning her daughter's ghost back, she summoned the wrong ghost. Oh. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. that happens. Like, sometimes, if you fuck it up bad enough, you'll summon, like, a minor demon or something. That demon will pretend to be your daughter for a little bit. Luckily, I don't think that's the case here. Unless you think Mary, his wife, was a demon. Demon. A demon. That would be crazy. Uh, <laughs> you would have to figure which, out what that is. Yeah, then you'll have to hire, like, Angel to take care of it. And, you know, it's tough. Hey, there was... So many moments where I think for a little bit more time and, yes, a little bit more budget, uh, they could have blown this world out in a really interesting way where every time she goes into this kind of summoning, strangling kind of state to see all the spirits that are around. Like, you're in a hospital. Why would there just be Mary Majors there? I feel like that room would be packed with people. And... Mm -hmm. To make it seem like, oh, well, I have to be sure that I'm concentrating enough to get Billy specifically to come into the body or something. It just seemed real. And also the wife looked to me a lot like Billy and I had trouble. Like they just seemed they both had blonde, curly hair. It just, you know, I feel like it could have been a more interesting thing to know more about Franca Patente's gifts and what exactly she does and how she does it. 
Well, I have two things to say to that. Mm. One, it, I imagine it is because they look so similar that Franca Patente just shoved the first blonde <laughs> ghost that she saw back in her daughter's body, and it turned out to be Lydia Hurst, that's right, in her second Flophouse movie, the first being <laughs> mm-hmm. The Haunting of Sharon Tate. Uh, mm-hmm. And two, it would have been really cool, I guess, to see, like, yeah, what the afterlife is like. And maybe there's, like, a waiting room, and, like, Sylvia Sidney is there, and she's smoking uh-huh. up a lot of cigarettes. And uh-huh. she's got to talk to, like, a guy with a little shrunken head, and, like, uh-huh. maybe Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, and has to, like, yep. kind of help them to get back into the person world and just like uh-huh. you know i've never seen that in a movie before <laughs> if only if mary had had better like guidelines of what to do after she died if there were some yeah, kind like of a book. compendium like a book, that could yeah. guide her to what to do yeah and maybe in the time that they were away joe's truck had been bought by some like yuppies from the city and they're really uh-huh. like art housed it up you know and they're mm-hmm. having like a party for their friends and their daughter is there and their daughter's like real goth and yeah. maybe michael keaton shows up in his famous role of clean and sober that's mm-hmm. right he's trying to kick the drugs from his system uh-huh. but first he's got to help these ghosts oh yeah i you know I, I i both agree with what you have to say aaron but i also am kind of charmed by the degree to which this movie is like okay in a normal if like if this was a horror thriller that's what would happen. But we are only interested in this ghost thing in so much as it is an engine to drive our, like, tawdry f- family melodrama. <laughs> like, and it reminded yeah. me of uh, before everything went to hell, we saw um, uh, Color Out of Space at um, Alamo Drafthouse. They did, like, a simulcast of, or uh, probably a rebroadcast, actually, I don't know, of, like, uh, Nick Cage and Rick, Richard Stanley talking about that movie, which is like a crazy H.P. Lovecraft movie, and Nicholas Cage was talking about how much he loves family. Hosted by the two normalest guys yeah. ever. But the, the funny thing to me was like, like they're like, what attracted you to this? And he goes, well, I always have loved family dramas, or something like that. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage just thinks of all these crazy things as family dramas. Like, that's, that's what he loves. This is normal to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He lives a very interesting life uh, uh anyway he, he did he did he did own pet snakes that he had to get rid of because they tried to hypnotize him <laughs> um. uh, so so uh so she's being she's all i'm your wife i'm your wife and whereas a normal person would be like what no that's impossible he's like i'm with you 100 percent. let's do it right well, now he yeah, was looking a, for permission and she gave it to him yeah, he's there's like, you know what? I think people will buy that I believe that. So, okay, sure. And there's a certain amount of like, she's, she's, it feels like she's trying to seduce him. I mean, she's in her underpants, except for his uh, denim shirt. And she just keeps talking about his dead child and his abusive father. And I'm like, is that what gets him going? That's crazy. I mean, he, he's really into exorcist play. So, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. If you think he should have put up more resistance to the idea that he should have sex with the daughter of his girlfriend, you will not get an yeah. objection from me. I think he should have put up all the resistance. But I do, I do, I do yeah. think that there is an interesting moment of like she convinces him, and like there, like I think he as a performance has this moment of like fear and emotional confusion and like just like not understanding how this could be possible but knowing that it is that would be really affecting if again he hadn't already accepted a hand job from this person yeah in a previous scene i mean he, I maybe he even didn't says know. he even says i don't deserve this and i'm like yeah i, I don't think you do yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I think uh, maybe it's a slippery slope he didn't realize he was going down when he accepted the the first job. I see. <laughs> that, uh, but it just shows he hasn't seen enough of these little short documentaries that are online. Okay. I, it's like I kind of can't avoid them. They seem to be everywhere. but They pop up. They're always popping they up. They literally pop up, yeah. And it's like it'll be like a dollar only. And I'm like, all right, I have a dollar for the <laughs> finest in new reality nonfiction filmmaking. Okay, sure. Okay, well, anyway. They hear the mom returning. Uh, Franca takes a little moment to sit in the driveway looking through the personal stuff. And then she comes in and Cage is understandably acting very weird. Um, and then there's... More, more, than, more than normal. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the great scene where... Now, I'm not entirely sure whether this is meant to have actually happened or is part of the dream sequence that follows, but Franca is watching uh, Nick Cage and her daughter spray one another with a hose, and Nicolas Cage... This is 100% happening. Okay, well, Nicolas Cage has a leather, leather pants on and a big belt buckle and sunglasses, and he's, like, thrusting his pelvis out while she sprays water yep. on him like it's like a, like a 1980s, like playboy video ad or like mm-hmm. I, like it is crazy these two are having some fun in the sun splashing around <laughs> with this hose now when yeah, you say he, playboy he video about, you he, mean you mean playboy documentary yeah, a documentary about <laughs> and he talks uh, about uh, he wash. suggests it's a he suggests mm-hmm. it's a golden shower which is you know a fun thing to do when he's spraying <laughs> you with water to assume <laughs> that he in his head he's thinking about urine it is there's so cold much urine <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm. <laughs> So refreshing. I, I kind of wonder, it's like, is this is this what he thinks the character would say, or is it the kind of thing that Nicolas Cage would say while he's spraying you with a hose? And I'll, unfortunately, I'll go to my grave never knowing the answer to that question. But but I, I take this as something that's happening, and he is so, they've just totally stopped pretending around Franco pretending yeah, okay. that that, yeah. that they are not in a relationship because he's so over he's so out of his mind with bliss because he's finally found his wife again and maybe when his wife was alive before she wasn't into being sprayed with a hose <laughs> but now she's like I died once what's the worst that can happen sure let's no, spray I mean, each she, other with a hose she was all burned up in a fire she probably wants to get sprayed with water all the time right mm-hmm. <laughs> isn't that very how that point. works oh. very good point yeah <laughs> that's very distressing to me for reasons I can't quite uh, understand um no, I, I, this, if there's any reason to see the movie, um, like if there's any single, it's for this scene. single reason, it's this scene. Yes. Look, look <laughs> it up on good. YouTube if it, if it's out there in the world, uh, <laughs> it's gotta be, um, anyway, so after this, it's very gifable. Somebody should gif it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was super fun to watch. It was very <laughs> enjoyable to watch. Well, that's, this is the scene I was talking about where, so there's this, in that, in that Nicolas Cage, Elijah Wood movie, he has to go undercover as a casino worker so that they can, like, rob this casino. And there's this montage where it's just him ingratiating himself with his new coworkers, and he's telling them some story at lunch, and they're all laughing, and he's getting up and dancing for them to make yeah. them laugh. And it just looks like Nicolas Cage is having so much fun being, like, a real goofball, yeah. and it's like... I wish he played more goofballs that are not tormented or tortured goofballs, but are just like goofballs. Well, it's also you know? like yeah. it feels like <laughs> this scene feels like if uh, like one of those like gross Hardee's commercials with models like suddenly turned into an ad for Crocodile Mile, like <laughs> the, the water like spraying all over the place. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Franca dreams that she uh, comes upon them uh, having sex, uh, but wakes up clutching her chest in fear and uh, mom and daughter have uncomfortable conversation where they are 
not very subtly fighting over Joe, and uh, the daughter calls her dad her mom's husband. Um, you know, a tip-off there. And Franca tries to rekindle the fire by sucking on Nicolas Cage's finger a little bit in bed, but his mind is uh, down the hall. And, like, a lot of these, like, I'm reading my my notes that are, you know, obviously uh, arranged chronologically, the traditional way to arrange uh-huh. uh, notes on a story. Mm-hmm. And You mean you didn't cut up your notes and throw <laughs> no, them in the no. air and then tape them together however they fell? But mm-hmm. the point is I will read, like, a scene that comes after another scene I'm like surely that scene didn't happen that quickly after the past scene like it feels so disjointed reading them as like individual scenes I'm like because the next scene is the daughter picking up a knife and starting acting like she's gonna kill her mom and like and she's saying she's gonna come between us you know like and it's like wow that is that comes right on the heels of this like sex dream fake out like it seems like there's just no connective tissue to this movie yeah it seems like that okay so like she has a sex uh franca patenta has a a dream where her new boyfriend is having sex with her daughter and then it the movie kind of just rolls into it like a weird series of sex montages yeah. right yes uh well that's and the mom go- she goes to talk to the nurse yeah that's what i first what happens is franca goes and meets with the nurse who's as we said knows everything about soul transference and i guess franca has decided that she like has realized what's going on that someone else's soul is in the daughter and meanwhile uh at home uh the daughter and nick cage are fucking in several different rooms as stewart says it's clipped up in a montage that makes it clear that this is just like it's happening all over the place and nick cage is reading to her from a book uh that is called memories by nicholas cage and I'm mm-hmm. trying to uh, the way I remember at it, her request. Which, at her request, which might she goes, she goes, read me memories. And now what I I remember the name on the front of the cover being misspelled. That Nicholas is spelled with an H, but maybe I'm misremembering that. So maybe that's his nom de plume, Nicholas Cage mm-hmm. with an H. But Dan, you said you did some research on this, and and this this montage is him having sex with Billy and him having sex with Mary. Mm, okay. In the birth so, of his truck. In the back of his truck, yeah. yeah. They ha- so it's a little bit him and Billy in the house and a little bit him and Mary in the truck. And it is, this is the other reason to watch this movie is just the, the, the sheer manic energy that Nicolas Cage is pouring into these scenes. And there's a part where they're having sex and he just goes, woo! <laughs> like someone does in a movie when they've just had a really powerful yeah. line of cocaine. And, you're, and it's like, is that what he's like in bed? Like, and he's that? reading these things that I, I, you know, it says memory. So I assumed that this was supposed to be a memoir in the world of the movie. Uh-huh. But I, it's referred to as poetry in the behind the scenes stuff that I've read. So uh, he's at, at first I thought it was a uh, I thought it was a screenplay for uh, Katsuhiro Otomo's memories. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't at any point <laughs> mention about four space guys finding a weird ghost uh, space yeah. station no. or another guy becoming a living uh, biological weapon or. Or a city that's entirely built around just feeding ammunition into guns. No, none of that. But no, but what is happening? Stuart, as someone who is currently three and a half volumes into rereading Akira, I understand exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> someone in the what is happening in the world of the film is merely that Joe is having sex while reading aloud erotic poetry by the actor Nicolas Cage, who also exists. And in we the world. see him having sex with Mary in the birth of the truck also reading it that that is her kink that she has yes. carried over into the land of the dead and back again i mean the thing is that like that is kind of every guy's fantasy is a woman who wants to hear the poetry that he's written <laughs> yeah because often it is not the case 
so anyway, yeah, the, the well, the little research I did. Dan, Dan and Stuart do some deep soul searching after Elliot mentions. <laughs> I mean, not poetry specifically, but I know what he's talking about. Um, well, no, and I, I know Dan would rather have a have a woman who likes to listen to his his mysteries, where he and his two best friends—that's right, Archie the cat and the ghost of his previous cat Lulu—solve uh-huh. mysteries. No, I just and mine I is- just want to like. You know, I want my uh, male ego flattered by someone pretending to give a shit when I talk about how Return of the Living Dead uh, relates to uh, Night of the Living Dead because of the <laughs> copyright uh, problems that John Russo had <laughs> with George Romero. And uh, But I know in my heart that this is all bullshit nonsense that no one should care about, and it is wrong yeah. to expect my partner to care about it either. Just because I'm an idiot. And for me, it's I just want to be able to explain the intricately crafted dungeon that I've built for four unlucky adventurers and all the <laughs> devious traps I've set before them. So I think that we are laying our uh, our like male ego monstrousness bare on this podcast in a way that we never have before. But uh, anyway. I mean, from the female ego perspective, I also often give my husband things I've written to read and tell him at the outset, just tell me it's great. <laughs> um, that's the yeah. note that I want from you. Yeah. That, I mean, that's the best. Look, speaking uh, uh, from the other side, I love instruction. If I'm told to tell you it's great, <laughs> I will tell you it's great. <laughs> um, Nicholas Cage. Uh, this is about the uh, memories. And uh, this is what I found online. He was asked about reading uh, the Nicolas Cage book Memories in the in this uh, movie, and he said, Well, I thought it was extremely funny, and any time you can break the fourth wall, pushing the envelope in terms of traditional or narrative is an experiment worthy of trying. I had never done anything like that, to read a book by the actor who's playing the character. I was inspired by the novels of Henry Miller, Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn. I always thought they were not only sensual, but hilarious in terms of the braggadocio of Henry Miller that he would go into great detail about his adventures in the sensual realm, and I wanted to bring a little of that kind of humor to Between Worlds with that concept. So that was the thinking success. of Nick yeah, Cage. Yeah, he did it. Who wrote those rising success. He wrote those Out poems. of the park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, looking, looking at that same interview, Dan, just reading slightly ahead, they ask him if, if that was a real memoir, what anecdote would be in it, and he tells a long story about how much he loves Prince. <laughs> which is not something I ever knew about him. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay, so getting back to the the actual plot of the story. So this is af- this is after the the very long uh, sex montage, which again is something I never expected to see in a Nicolas Cage movie. Mm-hmm. And I got I don't know if it was the enjoyment that I was supposed to get from it, but I did get genuine some kind of enjoyment from it. Uh, yeah, and so okay, but it but it comes to a tragic end, right, Dan? Yes, they hear. Uh, uh, Franca pulling up into the driveway. Nick Cage, uh, as Joe, he goes, what was that? And Billy says, it was the cat. And he goes, you don't have a cat. You don't have a cat. <laughs> and Franca gets mad, finding them uh, having sex with one another and things in the movie. And the term is understandably mad. Understandably mad. <laughs> um, and the movie, uh, the movie rapidly escalates from here. This is when it shifts into a different gear. Uh, Nick Cage. She also she just spent five hundred dollars getting him his box of memories back because yes. that was what mm-hmm. the truck boss wouldn't let him have it unless he gave five hundred dollars of the debt he owed, 
And I yeah. get the sense that five hundred dollars is a lot of money to these people, yes. to this family. They are not. They are not podcasters. Five hundred dollars is is a real <laughs> chunk of change. Yeah, it's, it's not, not super like nothing easy to come like by. it is to us. And so yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the insult to injury that she also just spent five hundred dollars of her hard earned money. Uh, while he was boning her daughter. Yes. No, she is mm-hmm. the only truly sympathetic person on screen. Let us, yes, yeah, stipulate that. Except for, except for the thing. two, except for those two goofy drug dealers that you like so I much. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. they provide a needed service to the community, Elliot. Um, <laughs> and so. For, they are essential workers, and that's why that their illicit underground drug deal <laughs> ring keeps, is allowed to keep running right. during the quarantine. Uh, so, uh, Nicholas Cage, uh, Franco's mad, Nick Cage comes out to try and explain in the tiniest banana hammock underwear that is like this patterned thing. I was not able to catch the pattern. Stuart, do you know what it was? You're nodding. I mean, it looked like it looked like some kind of a, like a jungle cat print. Mm-hmm. It looked very cool. And yeah. it, it, it fit perfectly with his uh, black t-shirt many bracelets and rings and a black t-shirt with a shiny alligator face emblazoned upon it. Uh, and well, anyway, he's trying to explain to Franco why he's done this. And he says uh, the line at one point, I'm sorry to say this. Billy is dead. That is Mary. And so I guess everything's cleared up. <laughs> so uh, they'll live happily ever after once he's, I mean, if anything, you kind of got to applaud his, uh, his effort. I mean, he's one, right? very like, direct. Uh, and she ex- she says you got to fix this, and he says, "What do you expect me to do? Kill my wife?" That's more of a Jimmy Stewart, but uh, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And yeah. right then, Billy comes out and bludgeons Franca in the head, knocks her out cold. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's moments after Franca Potente looks at Nicholas Cage and says, "Put your fucking pants on. You're gross." <laughs> and he says, "Like." Why would you say that? What makes you say that? And then the camera pulls back to give you a full view, and you're like, "Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's a jo- that's an intentional joke." <laughs> yeah, I think there's more. Looking at in retrospect, I think there's more more re- legit, more actual meant jokes in this movie than I thought first watching it. Through. Oh no, I think yeah. a lot of it's intentional. Whether you can say it's successful is <laughs> another thing, but uh... I mean the fact that I wasn't sure whether they meant it or not <laughs> yes. maybe means it's less than successful. Um, so anyway, we cut to uh, Billy's doofus friends being stoned and listening to Black Flag and dancing around, as we said earlier. Billy knocks at the door to rob them. Uh, I kind of zoned out for half a second. I'm not sure what went wrong, but Nicolas Cage storms in and beats the dudes with a bat. Um... Mm-hmm. There's a struggle with one of the friends, and that friend is shot mm-hmm. and killed yeah. accidentally. Hopper pen. Yeah, I just didn't. I yeah. just yeah. missed the part where like why Nick Cage jumped in with his bat. Oh, oh because yeah. they never say it outright. We're supposed to just know that they're going to rob them. Okay, but yeah, at this point, I think they're at the phase of uh, the adventure where they just go around bonking people on the head to knock them out. <laughs> okay, almost like a bonks adventure, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, the graphics are less than turbo. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, one of the doofuses gets killed, the one who says they're not that in- influential, and the other guy shows up with a gun to threaten Franca, like asking, mm-hmm. like, "Hey, what's the, what the fuck's up with your boyfriend coming in with your daughter and robbing our drug stash?" Which is, you know, a fair question and killing killing someone in the in the mix. Um, yep, not just not just someone, his best yeah. friend. Yeah. And business partner. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Billy, possessed by Mary, uh, Mary's taking K- uh, Nick Cage back to their old house where he has visions of his dead daughter and burned bodies and such. And it was very confusing to me. 
as to what part our visions are not or whether like half the house is burnt and half got rebuilt or half never got burnt like there's like a part of the house that seems totally fine that he's in except for there's like a smoke damage jack-in-the-box that he picks up and he focuses a lot of emotional energy on this jack yeah. it becomes yes now when you rent a location to film uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. you have to return it to the state it was in before you arrived okay when you leave okay. and so I think it's just a lot easier to just burn the inter like the hallway when you first walk in you just treat the foyer mm. make that look burned and then just put some trash on the ground in the other room uh-huh. so you say well this is general fire. Fire oh, trash. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were going to say that when you Some rinse debris a space, from the fire, it's easier to just burn half of it because then yeah, you, you just burn half <laughs> rebuild. of it and you have to rebuild half a house. Save half your money. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, but it also and I think was even, you- they even find the bed that his wife supposedly burned up in or something, and it's just like pushed slightly, like the like the bed's made better than the one in my apartment. <laughs> oh, nice. Um. I don't know. I said nice. So maybe, well, I mean, maybe he, maybe he put his yeah. yeah I don't know who, nice. who is what is nice in that situation. Right? Maybe, maybe all maybe, of our, all of our he, friendly maybe, attitudes. Maybe he put the truck up as collateral for a loan to get the best bed on the market. Yeah, yeah. The unburnable bed. So yeah, the between Z's bed. It's called. I wasn't sure if he was having visions of his daughter or if that was just again the movie doing these cuts because it was never yeah. it was never clear to me when. Like, is it a vision or is it just the movie trying to be weird? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was it's like, a, tr- I was, a true mission of madness. It was hard to tell her if whether it was real or Maxell. It was hard to tell if she was born with it or maybe it's Maybelline. It was just very. It was. Dif- it was very confusing. <laughs> yeah, Elliot, I told you about uh, accepting money under the table and then trying to slip these ads <laughs> into the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what you're talking about. It. Uh, make it your way. Okay. Uh, Burger King. <laughs> yeah. Is that what they say? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so, meanwhile, back at the ranch, a uh, living drug dealer is talking to Franca, and he's like, a ghost is taking over Billy's body? How do we find them? And she says, you gotta choke me. Okay. <laughs> he's like, I'll allow it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, back at the burnt house, Cage, in, in, in the burned wing of the burnt house, Cage has started up. <laughs> a generator and puts a string of lights on to create a romantic atmosphere and cage is drunkenly talking about how he didn't feel he deserved her ever he doesn't deserve anyone he was he's a mess he's a real he's an emotional mess by this point and uh the ghostbusters which to be fair put yourself in his situation you're a grieving widower Mm -hmm. you're already in trouble with the guys who who you have a loan on to buy your truck and now you finally found a friend maybe even a lover and suddenly your wife's ghost is taking over that lover's daughter and forcing you into a life of crime. And now she's taking you back to your old house. And you're like, oh, this is not the way I wanted her to see the house. I was supposed to clean it up when she came back to life. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's a lot to carry. No, this is right a now. man who has been emotionally destroyed, understandably, again, a little easier to sympathize if but for that hand job that he <laughs> accepted. <laughs> Uh, um, anyway, so, so Dan, far be it, far be it from me to defend that action. I would not, but you know what? You got to find your small joys where you can yeah. in this life, you know? Uh, so even, even villains are the heroes of their own yeah. story, right? 
I mean, you got to imagine <laughs> some of the villains know that they're the villains, right? Like when a villain is like, mm, I'm going to destroy the world, you have to know that they have to be like, mm, well, this doesn't really benefit anyone, including me. Maybe I am the villain. Uh, so mm-hmm. anyway, Franca. Like oh, Ultron. God. I guess Ultron must think he's the hero, right? For robots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what about like a, what about like a, like, yeah, and Thanos thinks he's the hero. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. You gotta find. You gotta find one. There's gotta be some like Mephisto must know that he's not the hero, right? Uh, yeah. He's not like, uh, yeah. Check the comic book cover, dude. It says Mephisto Tales, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, Franca and the like. You gotta assume the Penguin knows that he's a bad guy, right? The Penguin isn't like, mm, from another point of view, Batman's the villain and I'm I the mean, hero. They try to make him really sympathetic in Batman Returns. I mean, to a point, but n- nothing really, nothing really forgives him I mean, just biting someone's nose mayor. off. Oh, he does. I... You're right, and no one bad can run for politics mayor. Politics is a dirty game, no matter how you slice it. <laughs> no, no why would you slice you politics off? though? Like, why are you slicing up politics? Start a new life. <laughs> um, I, even I as a kid, even as a kid, I remember being thrown by how quickly they dropped the mayoral, mayoral race storyline in that movie. Well, also, <laughs> was like, when he's like, we're not even going to see whether he won. I, I like, I, you got to admit, I, I ride the city like a, what was it? A hawk from hell, hound from hell. I don't even remember what he says, but uh-huh. I don't remember what it he says. It seems like, I mean, especially now in the days of, of Trump, but like, even at the time I always felt like, well, this is a weird, like cryptically phrased, like one sentence that, that he's caught the penguin saying, and Batman broadcasting it to the people of Gotham immediately turns them against the penguin, who they had loved moments before. Oh yeah, yeah. they think it's great. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so you know, you know what Batman is in that moment? A mm-hmm. troll. Oh wow! Yeah, mm. like he lives hair under a bridge. Is, he lives under a bridge. His hair is all spiky, and he's going on a world tour. <laughs> and if he spends too much time out in the sun, he'll turn to rock entirely. Mm-hmm. But would, that's great because then Bilbo can sneak away. <laughs> There's <laughs> a lot of different trolls that were thrown into this mix right now. Uh, so Franca and the drug dealer show up, or as I now like to call them, the real Ghostbusters. And mm-hmm. they have a plan at this burnt house. I, we don't know what it is yet. Uh, turns out the plan is just coming in and pulling a gun on Nick Cage. Uh, and But then Billy has a gun too, and she pulls it on Franca and says, "No one, nobody's shooting that sad bastard but me. And this is the big reveal uh, of something that I'm sure we all kind of suspected was true, since this ghost seems like uh, a, a, a real uh, a cavalcade of red flags. This ghost, mm-hmm. the way this ghost behaves. But it turns out yeah. that um, uh, the reason she was worried about uh, Nicolas Cage leaving for work all the time was that she knew that she couldn't trust herself alone, and she deliberately killed her daughter to hurt him and. Like I think she meant to kill herself too, but not burn the she place down. Meant, but like meant to kill herself, but not ruin the equity they had built yeah. up in the house. So the oh, place sure. burned down on accident after this murder suicide. And uh, Cage is totally broken at this point. He hears the voice of his dead daughter, wanders off, which provides enough distraction that, uh, like I think Franca tries to go for the gun and Billy shoots her. But now, uh-oh, big mistake, huge. You've activated her, her <laughs> supernatural powers. ghosts power. work on commissions. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Now that Franca is uh, be- betwixt <laughs> life and death, she's uh, between worlds, if you will. She will uh, pull the wife out of Billy and trap her in the <laughs> netherworld. Um, Much like Obi-Wan Kenobi, now that she's struck down, she'll be more powerful exactly. than Billy could ever imagine. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, or Mary, I should so say. So it, it turns out she has the ability to take people out of bodies as well yeah. as ushering people into them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about it. She didn't even have to throw her through the ghost door in the Lock and Key comics. Mm-hmm. Nope. Just says, hey, get out of here. And then suddenly she's gone. Ghost door way of the samurai. Um... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, ghost door entryway of the samurai. <laughs> Nicholas Cage's brain is broken at this point. He's clutching onto the jack-in-the-box, <laughs> yelling uh, Sarah. Uh, Billy wakes up, cries about her mom, who uh, is is too far gone to save, it seems. Um, the leader of the pack, by I think the Shangri-Las, is that who did leader of the pack? I believe so, yes. Uh, I, th- I don't know if it's their version of it or if it's a cover. Okay, well, it's, I, it starts That's playing. actually playing. And Cage pours gas all over himself, lights a cigarette, setting himself aflame, and stubs the cigarette out on his own burning body. This, over this his seems heart. Like, yeah. This seems like a yeah. point where I think they put on the flame effects a little too soon. <laughs> I think he was supposed to light himself by putting the cigarette out on his oh. body, but instead he's already engulfed in flame when he does that. So it's. I think they added the, the flames <laughs> oh, I think a it's early. a great like, joke where he's like, well, I'm, in, I'm literally engulfed in flames, but I got to put this cigarette out. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to burn me. the house down. Yeah. Um, he has that, zero reaction to being engulfed in flames. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. does not hurt him at all. He does. It seems to be, if anything, at least, it makes him feel better. Yeah. He's he glad he can feel something. Yeah. 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 I think well, now he's maybe, he, maybe this is a guy. This is a guy who learns from his mistakes, and he's like, okay, what can I pick up from this experience? One, do not trust my wife because she does not have my best interests at heart. Let's keep that clear. Number two, if I'm ever in the situation again, do not accept that hand job under the blanket. And number okay. three, yep. I can't let lit cigarettes just lie around because that caused the problem in the first place. So I better put it out right now. Ironically, he's on fire, so I guess the cigarette just burns up faster. Yeah. But it's a uh, yeah. The, the, the fire effects, it's just very funny to see how nonchalant he is with all this fire all over him. <laughs> Um, so obviously what should have happened is he should have then jumped into the body of the uh, happy-go-lucky drug dealer that he had killed, and then he would get to go on an adventure later, right? Oh, sure, no? sure, yeah. No? Nobody likes my idea? Uh, I mean, I was just, I just thought I'd throw it out there. Just I mean, spitballing, yeah. I'm not a I mean, professional the... writer, so I thought maybe you guys could give me some notes. I mean, well, what, um, what's this adventure? What adventure is, the, is, the, is he going on in this new body? I mean, I hadn't really thought that far ahead. Uh... Because there's four Maybe. different types of primordial story. Let's go through them. Man okay, versus man, you. man versus uh-huh. nature, goes uh-huh. bananas, or goes to Monte Carlo. <laughs> okay. So well, it's got to be one of those four. Okay. I mean, man versus man, I think we've already covered. And mm-hmm. goes bananas, I think, already happened, too, right? <laughs> but he hasn't been to Monte Carlo yet. He hasn't been to Monte Carlo. But could he also be fighting nature in Monte Carlo? I have to assume they have some nature there. Yeah. Maybe even if it's just a plant in the lobby of a casino. So Dan, okay, okay. Uh, Billy, and Mike they drive away, yes. and then what happens? <laughs> then we got a, a, a short pan over some uh, burnt dolls, ch- child's dolls, and a family photo with more of that uh, Twin Peaksy music. And there's a fade to black, and then we hear uh, it's either Joe's dad or maybe like uh, it's supposed to be his mom's boyfriend. I don't know. The, it's not. I believe it's supposed to be his dad. Okay. Because uh, they, they mentioned earlier that his dad used to hit him. Okay. Well, we hear his dad yelling at uh, his mom about Joe and how shitty Joe is and threatening to burn the whole house down. And Joe comes out and shoots his dad with a shotgun. And and now here's something something I want to point out here is that this is clearly a flashback. 
It's Joe's youth, and yet they are in an exceedingly modern kitchen. And that created after, a lot of problems for me, honestly, because I didn't know when it was supposed to be happening. I assumed it was a flashback, but I'm like, uh, it doesn't really look... I mean, like, he's got a Walkman headphone, so I guess it's a long time ago, but at the same time, the <laughs> house doesn't look old at all. No, and at, having just... Uh, my wife and I finally watched the last episode of the season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel after a long break between episodes, and there are so many scenes where they have period cars and costumes and things for no reason. I found it very refreshing that the makers of this film did not bother to make it a period-specific kitchen, and were just like, where's the kitchen of the house that we are already staying in? Let's just shoot this there. Come on. Yeah. Now, I got a question for you three, and that is this. Uh, is this scene in the movie so we're like, oh... That's why Joe hates when family members burn down houses, potentially killing other family members. Did the movie think that we needed a motivation for his youth for him to be upset about his wife burning down his house? I think probably uh, it was to show that Joe's life has been a nonstop cycle of violent trauma, but maybe they're setting it up for the prequel Between Worlds 2, The Rise of Joe. I think that when this scene was all finished up, they the they sent it over to the movie maker. They're like, and they got epilogue and prologue confused, <laughs> and they're like, is this? I think it goes at the end. That's what happened. Uh, I mean, yeah, I do get the sense that it was supposed to be in a different part of the movie, and they ended up cutting it, and then they were like, well, this is too good to waste. Let's throw it in at the end instead of a blooper. The thing is, like, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. really illuminate anything about anything, but it's it has, like, this place of importance, so you're like, okay, this must mean something. But it's so opaque what it means. Like, we were watching it, and Audrey was like, does this mean that, like, his dad's spirit has been following him around? Like, it, it, I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. Like, it, there's nothing in the uh, movie. What if his dad had been pulled be. into Billy? Like, I don't know. Oh, boy. Well, I think because they also, they filmed the young Franca Patente scene where she's the little girl underneath the ice of the lake and mm-hmm. that also didn't offer anything except kind of a moody opening credit sequence it was a, so. it was a striking visual sure you know yeah it didn't advance think... the plot necessarily I feel like that they probably just filmed scenes of both of the leads as kids and then figured out where to put them later yeah I think that's probably true unless maybe Nicolas Cage saw the first cut of the movie and was like Wait, so Franca gets a kid flashback and I don't get a kid flashback? Can I get a kid flashback? I'm going to pull my support of the movie. I was supposed to go on all the talk shows to promote this movie, and but I don't have a kid flashback and Franca gets a kid flashback? Like, that's not mm-hmm. fair. I'm a bigger mm-hmm. star. I should get the bigger kid flashback. Why don't I get a kid flashback? Because I want a kid flashback. And they're like, Nick, you you saw the script. Yeah, but I, I, there were no kid flashbacks in the script. Well, we didn't think we should write out the title sequence in the script. Yeah, but that's a kid flashback. Like, that's an official kid flashback. Ask anybody. Ask a professional. Ask a someone off the street. They'll tell you it's a kid flashback. And I want a kid flashback. Why don't I get a kid flashback? Nicholas Cage, kid flashback. Where's my kid flashback? Because I haven't gotten a kid flashback, and Franca got a kid flashback. That's not fair. Kid flashbacks, everyone should get kid flashbacks, or no one gets kid flashbacks. So you either give me a kid flashback, or you take out Franca's kid flashback. I assume that's exactly what happens. I've never gone so far from, like, like finding something actively unfunny and irritating to not be able to stop laughing. (laughs) (laughs) 
the greatest triumph. Oh, um, okay. Mm-hmm. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled. Final judgments is this section of the podcast where we talk about <laughs> whether we thought it was a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie we kind of liked. Does anyone raring to go with a with a hot take on <laughs> Between Worlds or whatever it's called? I do not have a hot take. Uh, I think this movie is for sure good, bad. Um, it's very silly. I rewound several parts to watch them again. Um, I, there were several moments where my husband and I just turned the exact same moment and made eye contact with each other, which is always, I think, a good sign that something is very ridiculous. Um, I, it's so much fun to watch. I would rewatch this movie. Uh, I agree. I'm going to also say that it was a good, bad movie. Uh, there's a lot of potential red flags for viewership, and the movie avoids them and ends up being if there if there can be a silly laugh out loud movie about uh, <laughs> about a ghost that wants to seal someone's life and also uh, a murder suicide, then this is that movie. It's it's a uh, I think there's some and also if you have any if you're if you've got a teenager. And it's hard to talk to them about the act of physical lovemaking. Just show them this movie, and they'll finally understand what it's all about. <laughs> I yeah. Here's the here, to that point. To that end, Elliot. Like this is a difficult movie to like unreservedly like recommend that anyone see because it does have a lot of things that could potentially upset people, depending on you know what ex- upsets you personally. I mean, like there is. There is, yeah, suicide. There is child death. There is murder, child murder and suicide. There, uh, there is like <clears throat> this quasi almost incestuous relationship, even though like he's not with Franca Patenti. It has that structure. And even though the actress who is playing Billy is 28, she is, I believe, kind of playing younger. And Nicolas Cage is the age he is. So that is like unpleasant too. You mean age, ageless and eternal? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, may he live forever in his New Orleans crypt. Um, but, but if you can accept all of those things in the space of like an overheated melodrama, which is what this is, uh, like I almost even like I'm between good, bad, and kind of liked. And the reason I I even skew almost towards that is it feels like <clears throat> it gives you the feel for me. Of when I was a kid and I'd stay up late watching these like late 80s, early 90s thrillers uh, and like not even necessarily being into them because they were even too sleazy. But like wondering like what is this world? Like why did someone make something so like sweaty and sleazy and being fascinated by it? What's Zalman King thinking? (laughs) Yes. And having like one of those (laughs) movies get into like the fly transporter and get mixed with Wild at Heart. Like... It, yeah, it, I respond to it. I I think I'm probably responding to it. I mean, all the language I'm using, I'm responding to it as someone who likes movies and is like approaching it through almost the window of other movies. So I don't know how it would work for someone who doesn't care as much about that stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, if I feel you like don't if... like movies, you might not like this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's I, true. I, I feel like there's it's already a, good, a certain good save. There's a certain filter for watching a movie on purpose because it's bad that weeds out a lot of the people who would not be into this That's movie, true. probably. Stuart, what do you have to yeah. say about it? Yeah, I'm going to go on the side of good, bad. I feel like a lot of the... I did spend a large chunk of the movie telling my TV to stop it. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like if if it was in like a group setting where you're with a bunch of friends all excited to watch a bad movie, some of the creepier sex stuff might would come off as funnier. 
uh, as opposed to as creepy as it is, uh, with just me sitting in my apartment alone, sweaty from a hot workout. <laughs> uh, what are you wearing, Stuart? <laughs> uh, you know, a nice pair of slacks and <laughs> a sweatshirt. Slacks to work out? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's business casual workout. I'm a grown-up. Grown-ups wear slacks. Uh, and there's points when, like, I feel like, I feel like there's... I feel like if this movie, if you had swapped the daughter character with, like, Franca Potente's, like, elderly mother that she had to save, I feel like that <laughs> might have been a more interesting movie uh, and maybe less gross. Well, definitely less gross, but I don't know. That's, you know, that's for Between Worlds 2, I guess. Mm-hmm. I started listening to Ono, Ross, and Carrie shortly after I broke my arm, and the doctor had told me I'd never walk again. I couldn't get my book started. I was lost, honestly. I knew it was time to make a change. There's something about Ono, Ross, and Carrie that you just can't get anywhere else. They're thought leaders, discoverers, founders. I'd call them heroes. Ross and Carrie don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. They take part themselves. They show up so you don't have to. But you might find that you want to. My arm is better. I can walk again. I wrote an entire book this weekend. It, it's terrible, but I did it. Just go to MaximumFun.org. Thank, Thank you, Ross, Ross and Carrie. Ona Ross and Carrie is just a podcast. It doesn't do anything. It's just sounds you listen to in your ears. All these people are made up. Goodbye. Hey, if you like your podcast to be focused and well-researched and your podcast host to be uncharismatic, unhorny strangers who have no interest in horses, then this is not the podcast for you. Yeah, and what's your deal? <laughs> I'm Emily. I'm Lisa. Our show's called Baby Geniuses. And its hosts are horny adult idiots. We discover weird Wikipedia pages every episode. We discuss institutional misogyny. We ask each other the dumbest questions and our listeners won't stop sending us pictures of their butts. We haven't asked them to stop, but they also aren't stopping. Join us on Baby Geniuses every other week on MaximumFun.org. Okay, well, let's move into the next segment. Quickly do some sponsors for the show. The Flophouse is sponsored in part by ExpressVPN. And not only can ExpressVPN protect your privacy and security online, you can also use it to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. I know we've all done it. We've all been there. We've seen that something is streaming. It's streaming in a different country. You can't get it in the U.S. Well, ExpressVPN helps you with that. Now that so many of us are stuck at home, it's only a matter of time until you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. But you can use ExpressVPN to change your location to almost 100 different countries. And just think about all the extra libraries you'll, you'll be able to access, like uh, Star Trek Discovery on Netflix UK or Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on Netflix Australia. It's compatible with all of your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want to watch on a personal device or on the big screen, wherever you are. And you can visit our special link at expressvpn. Dot com slash flop. I'll slow down for the most important part, expressvpn.com slash flop, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want, and protect yourself with ExpressVPN. <clears throat> so that was me reading an ad. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, you did a great and job, And here's Dan. another one. Great. 
You did a really good job. Is that what you wanted was praise? Uh, please. please. <laughs> Almost constantly. Um, <laughs> so uh, here's uh, an ad for Squarespace, which I know Elliot loves. It's a great which way I, to... I just have a lot of ideas. But can you yeah. talk about Squarespace, and then I'll tell you what my, what my great idea is this time. Sure. Um, you can create a beautiful website to uh, promote or uh, display your cool idea, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and much, much more, whatever you might want to do on the internet. Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers, everything optimized for mobile right out of the box, a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, free and secure hosting. Hey, go to squarespace.com slash flop for a free free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer offer code flop to save a 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain I bungled a lot of that but the important thing is to remember offer offer code flop Uh, now Dan uh, leaving the bungling aside uh, I had an idea and I was wondering if Squarespace might be able to help me make it into a real website and a real business almost certainly Elliot but indulge us because I don't know if they're going to want to touch this one, but I'd really appreciate it if they did. Okay. It's all happened to us. We've all been in this situation. You're dead. You're a ghost. You find yourself in some young lady's body, and you just want to find love with the greasy trucker uh, that you used to be in love with when you were alive, but now it's a little awkward. What do you do? Well, that's where adultghostfinder.com comes in. Adult Ghost Finder is the place where a ghost looking for love can match up with people who are looking for love with ghosts. It's all right there in our slogan, where ghosts looking for love find people looking for love with ghosts. Adultghostfinder.com. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a ghost to love a ghost, and you don't have to be a person to love a person. You could be a ghost or a person, or maybe you're the ghost of a person, or maybe you're the person of a ghost, such as in this film. It doesn't matter. We don't judge. We're just here to help ghosts find people, and ghosts find ghosts, and people find ghosts, but not people find people. That's gross at adultghostfinder.com. You're not interested in ghosts? We're not interested in you. You know what? Get out of here, fleshling, with your anti-ghost prejudices. Not interested? You can take that elsewhere. This is for ghosts and the people who are interested in ghosts and ghosts that are interested in people and ghosts that are interested in ghosts. So that's adultghostfinder.com. Dan, you think that Squarespace could help me? I think it's great, and I think that that is the product or service that people will remember coming out of this ad break and not either of the people who are paying us. So thank you. Uh, uh, Well, uh, ExpressVPN and Squarespace. (laughs) Please go use them. Stuart, you got a Jumbotron to read, right? Hell yeah, I do. Uh, It goes like this. On the Discord and Rhyme podcast, a motley crew of music nerds, or perhaps a Def Leppard. That's a reference to the (laughs) English band Def Leppard. uh, Discusses an album per episode. No track left out. Fighting the forces of chaos in today's era of buffet listening. Our eclectic lineup of more than 50 albums includes The Kinks, Captain Beefheart, The Mountain Goats, Kate Bush, Janet Jackson, Ween, a 70s disco musical version of The War of the Worlds, and the Mega Man 2 soundtrack. Because why not? Subscribe to Discord and Rhyme wherever podcasts are found. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere else. Discord and Rhyme. I am definitely going to listen to their Mega Man 2 episode because that is my favorite video game soundtrack of all time. 
Uh, But I've also got a Jumbotron. And it goes like this. Somewhere in middle America, a redheaded boy lives in a town called Riverdale. On the Riverdale High AV Club, sibling hosts Megan and Ezra chronicle his life, friends, family, pets, and exploits. In weekly episodes full of goofs and a few facts, they dive into the background of all things Archie. Join them as they explore such hidden corners of the Archieverse as Cosmo the Merry Martian, Katie Keene, CW's Riverdale, and more. Tune in to the Riverdale High AV Club on all your favorite podcatchers. That's right, listen to their podcast, The Riverdale High AV Club about all things Archie. See, Do you think they've... I was gonna say that sounds like my version of a Riverdale podcast. Like I'm like, just talk to me about like the weird, obscure comics characters. I don't care about the the sexy CW uh, Riverdale. So give me the, you know, give me the sexy comic characters. (laughs) Give me the. I wonder if they've done an episode about that series where Jughead's dog was a superhero. Uh, probably not yet. Yeah, you know, you got to save save something for season ten. Um, Hey, we'll get to it. I got good news, everyone. We can uh, announce our contest winners, the winners of the prize packs for um, the raffle we that did, the charity news. raffle during the charity live stream. Uh, Stuart is getting out his notepad because <laughs> he's the one who's going to be sending these things out, although I can just it email is... this information. No, no, um, make sure he gets the information this way, Dan. Don't spoon feed it to him. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll give him the full address of everyone who won. Um, <laughs> no, the contest winners are Robert Bain. Uh, which sounds like the you know a mystery writer Robert Bain. Congratulations, <clears throat> Tyler Moore. There's no Mary in front of it, just Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. And congratulations. Okay. I didn't realize they were also winning the chance to be razzed live <laughs> well, on the show. <laughs> and Stuart by, Dan, believe- by Dan Rickles over here. Stuart, this will be a familiar name for you, uh, Casey Crow. Oh shit! Your old buddy, my, high, my college, college roommate and oldest friend, Casey was Crow, chosen at random. We could possibly you know sure we sure could possibly uh do another drawing if you like Stuart, so we can send out four so it's not just your friend well i'm i'm glad that you have revealed evidence of my corruption live <laughs> on the podcast to me. no it was i was amazed i was like oh i don't out of the thousands of people i recognize that name but um yeah maybe we'll we'll draw another one uh, as a bonus just to just to make sure everyone knows we're on the up and up. Yeah, but those K- are the congratulations. I guess Casey won fair and square, but we'll uh, we'll we'll throw one. I like that instead of Dan just discarding that one and choosing another one without telling anybody, he instead put it out on the airwaves. I mean, it seems unfair to Casey in that situation, right? Like he, uh, it's yeah, not like K- Casey's Casey, never going to know. Casey had the tip of his finger bitten off by a dog recently, Elliot. Mm-hmm. You don't think he deserves a prize? Pack? I mean, I, not having known that, I'm going to have to say yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hey, Casey, uh, you're all right. <laughs> Congratulations, Casey. Yeah, congrats thank to all of our winners, and thank you again to everybody who donated during our big live show. And uh, we are still working on putting together the reading of The Boy Next Door that was the prize to everybody for yeah. uh, massively exceeding the number of donations that we expected. Thank you very much, everybody, for sh- yeah. using your heart yeah. to show your best. Yeah. We do have, I'm not going to, I can't reveal anything just yet. I think people will be happy. We do have a lot of the cast in place. And um, it's, you know, many, many beloved figures from Flophouse Land uh, will be involved. Um, so, but let's move on to letters. Right, guys? Right? Why not? Yeah, yeah we need sure. them to Why make our words. And yet we've never <laughs> celebrated them. Letters, thanks for everything you do. From A to Z and in between, thank you. 
for being there to spell out our words, to be in our cereals and soups, and mm-hmm. also just for making us laugh on rainy days. Letters. <laughs> Here, now, this one's for you. Wait, hold on. So, are they? Are we laughing because the letters are have spelled out jokes, or are we just sort of observing letters and 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 you know finding joy in that? Dan, whatever make whatever floats your boat when you need a lift. Sometimes it's just looking at a lowercase Q and being like, "Hey, what are you up to, buddy?" And sometimes, and sometimes it's reading some Robert Benchley and knowing that without letters, those ideas would have just died in his head, never communicated, except maybe verbally to one person right next to him. Letters, yeah. hey, you're the best. Or a whole round table of people. Um, let's. Two letters, then. Uh, these are in the form of emails, uh, Dan, however. Uh, Dan, hold on, Dan. Let's what? celebrate these letters and let's be, be, let, treat them to a good time. But I don't know if we need okay. to do them. Unless, okay. if there's chemistry between you and one of the letters, Dan, then go for it. <laughs> oh, damn it. Florian. Florian, last name withheld, is the first uh, person writing. Florian writes, Hi, Dan and Elliot and Stu. The three investigators were a huge part of my childhood in Germany. Now, this was brought up. Uh, on the last episode with uh, Hodgman and David Reese when we talked about detectives. I talked about how I liked wow. the three investigators. Really rip, ripped from the headlines. <laughs> three inve- it is. It is. This is one of the more new emails you'll ever hear, but I thought it was interesting. One of uh, the more new, as, or as other people might say, newer letters. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm just, anyway, the point is I'm giving a little backstory. I read the three investigators as a kid. None of the others knew about this uh, particular series of mysteries. Um... And if you don't listen to the minis, I, I have seen, you know, like, fewer people do. They're they're really good, guys. They're a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, they have less Look. nonsense in them in the sense of boring stuff and more nonsense in, the, in them in the sense of nonsense. Don't be a yeah. mini-misser. Hey, it's the worst thing you can be is a mini-misser. Don't miss those minis. Catch them today at the Flophouse. Okay. Well, he says they're a huge part of his childhood in Germany. The books were popular here. But the three boys from Palm Beach reached iconic status in the form of radio plays. All German kids from my generation had at least a couple of Die Drei Fratzenzeigen. Perfect pronunciation. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, that's great. Are you from Are, are you from Berlin? <laughs> Tapes. Uh, no, how is that? How would you say that, sir? You speak German, right? Uh, I don't speak it well enough no, to investigators. repeat what I just kind of heard you What's say. What's the word for investigators? Does it sound anything like Fratz's uh, icon? Well, th- well, you know how to say three. Yep. Dry. Franz is something. Rather than Dre, as Dan said. Okay, well, anyway. Had at least a couple of Dre Fratz's tapes or LPs to listen to on repeat. I am the same age as you. In 1997, a group of fans even started a playback theater show where they would have one of the tapes running and would lip sync and move to it in front of an audience. This was a huge success and prompted the makers of the radio plays to go on extended tours of the German-speaking countries. They are still touring to this day. Too long didn't read. You didn't make up the three investigators. But they're probably considered weird or off as evidenced by the fact that they were and are loved in Germany. Love the floor. Love the floor. Love the show, Florian. I'm sure Florian would love the floor too if he could see it. I've got a hey, nice rug in here. It's that old. It's that old gearbook uh, quote. Thanks to the floor for holding me up. Or thanks <laughs> to the floor for always supporting me. That's another way of seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Stuart, I'm sorry that I put you on the spot 
as my translator. No, it's okay. I was just trying to Google uh, what uh, investigator is in German, and it's not what you said. Mm. So I'm sure very it might confused. be a different. I mean, well, it's probably an idiomatic translation. That's not. Um, yeah, that's fair. Now, I, uh, I'm surprised. I've... There's probably a very specific German word for like three brothers who, <laughs> are, who solve mysteries and are loosely related to Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. Bruder Frage Hitchcocken, you know, that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, a, I'm surprised I never heard of the idea of people lip syncing on stage to radio shows or like drama LPs. And that's a great idea. That's a really good idea. Let's bring mm-hmm. it over here. Let's lip sync to our own podcast on the road. Okay, interesting. <laughs> that seems easier than us just coming up with this uh, highly original bullshit, right? <laughs> Ironically, that would require so much more preparation than what we currently do. Um, but you could switch roles, which would be very interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they are doing transcripts. We could do readings where we all switch parts. <laughs> it's our own version of True West. Um, okay. This one says this. Mr. McCoy, feel free to relax on this letter because you've already done your part. Elliot and Stuart, you've got some splaining to do. What are your erotica author aliases? The Great Dane has already unmasked himself in front of the world press and subsequently been taken into police custody. You can all split this prison sentence three ways so it won't be so hard on any one of you. All you have to do is to state your full name and erotic alias into this microphone, then come out with your hands up. It's over. Big fan, Detective Jack, last name withheld. Now, I mean, this seems like the opposite of the prisoner's dilemma. You know that I will just do the time if you keep your mouth shut. And so there's no, you know, you don't have to make any calculations. Like, the self-interested thing would be to just not say anything. So the premise of this bit <laughs> is that we <laughs> are you. moonlighting as erotic <laughs> yeah. authors, and we have to mm-hmm. reveal <laughs> what our nom de plume Clarifying is. Clarifying and returning to first principles, Stuart. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I just want to make sure I'm up to speed. You know, I like playing games. I mean, also we could just ignore it and pretend it never happened. We're we we are the judge. You know, we 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 make Elliot, the call. Do you have a do you have a nom de plume? Do you have an erotic uh, author yeah, name? Yeah, J.R.R. Throbin. Sure. Okay. Oh, <laughs> wow. You were quick with that one. Well, I spent the, I I spent like... the time Dan was reading the letter thinking of it. Hmm. I feel like I, I want to pick a name that no one else in the world would pick. So I think maybe like Jackson Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hmm. Okay. And, uh, and Aaron, let's say you were involved in this, this highly questionable shenanigan. Certainly. I have been thinking the entire time of what my erotica a nom de plume would be i think i would probably be uh smolder divine mm, oh that's oh, very good yeah, yeah. i like it i mean nom that's significantly better than ours. nom de plume <laughs> is a pretty good erotica nom de plume mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh guys that's it for letters Put it behind you. It's gone. Okay. It's dead now. You never had it. Pick them up and throw them in the. <laughs> yeah, don't look back. Pick them up and throw them in Elliot's old trash yeah, if can. If you look back, it'll turn into salt. <laughs> Just keep moving forward. Uh, now we got to talk about good movies that you should watch. Or, I mean, they don't have to be good. The thing I'm thinking about recommending is not, but it is fun. <laughs> So uh, let's go with that. Movies. Let's that say movies you would enjoy. recommend. Let's just yeah. call them movies we'd recommend. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make don't make it complex, Dan. It's. Fine. I mean, you've al- you've already oversold yours quite a bit by calling it not good. 
Uh, well, I guess I'm already in it. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna see. The only thing worse than my German is my uh, my Brazilian. So, or I guess Portuguese, right? Is that? Well, Portuguese Correct. is the language, yeah. but Brazilian, yes. I think, is the wax that you're talking about because yes. they did not do a good job. That's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, that made me sad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, don't go to budget Brazilian next time, Dan. That was your mistake. Mm-hmm. Some things are worth paying full price for. Okay, yep. so I, my Portuguese is not good, but uh, the uh, movie I'm recommending is Super Xuxa Contra O Bio. Astral. Perfect. Which uh, is, you know, it, could, it translates basically to Shusha against the down mood. Um, and this is okay. the Brazilian children's host, Shusha, who had, uh, or Jusha, I, I, I'm, again, my accent is not good, but she was uh, huge in Brazil. This movie that she made uh, was the number three most profitable Brazilian film in Brazil. Or oh, sorry, the, mo- the most proper- profitable Brazilian film in Brazil, and the third most popular movie in Brazil that year overall, like above things like RoboCop. So it was a huge hit there. And um, th- the best way to describe it is if if Labyrinth uh, was uh, done with like puppets you found in say like a Lost and Found box, and instead of a baby being stolen, it was. Uh, a dog puppet and instead of it being kind of about like the coming of age of a of a, a young girl it's about this brazilian lady in hot pants like singing songs about how we need to treat the earth better and not be sad and um and the and it's less coherent than that makes it sound if that's possible uh she's basically uh-huh. fighting the satan and it has this as i alluded to before the biggest crime in this world seems to be that you can't feel sad, like don't have a down mood, which is like a completely misguided uh, thing for pe- people's emotional development, certainly if this is <laughs> for yeah. children and very weird right now in the world as it is. Uh, but if you enjoy things that are uh, just sort of colorful and weird and go off in directions you cannot comprehend and fathom and just let it wash over you, like it is a good bizarre time it's hard to find uh you probably might have to do it in a a legal fashion but it's it's fun which is an adventure in itself sounds like something to use your express vpn for Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) up your tracks (laughs) do either you guys have a recommendation uh i do Uh, aaron would you like to go next sure uh so this so between worlds felt to me like a horror comedy that was how Mm -hmm. i experienced it um and so another scary comedy that's more funny than scary uh is what we do in the shadows which is a movie that it's a movie that i really really enjoyed and now i started watching the series on fx that i'm also really enjoying um so I would recommend that for people who want to laugh at something that should be scary and isn't. Um, also, Reese Darby is in What We Do in the Shadows, and he's also on The Big Fib, streaming on Disney+, Plus. head written by oh, me. Oh, <laughs> snuck a little plug in there. Um, he, also, he's so great. He's so great. Also, if you, wanna, if you love Nicolas Cage's huge performance in this, 
um, then get in the Wayback Machine and watch or rewatch Vampire's Kiss uh, because that is a huge Nick Cage performance that just reinforces the fact that um, this isn't new. He's always been this way. Like, he's always been so big. He's always made such huge choices and committed 100%. Um, so those are my two recommendations. Always swinging for the fences, that guy. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> uh, I'm going to recommend a movie, unless you would like to go next, Stuart. Oh, let me think. Uh, no, Elliot, you can okay, go. Okay, thank you. But certainly uh, you should drag movie, it out either way. <laughs> this movie ties into Between Worlds because it is also about a man who has very serious and at times traumatic memories tied up in a house that is not being well taken care of. And that's The Last Black Man in San Francisco, directed by Joe Talbot and uh, written by him and uh, Jimmy Fails, and starring Jimmy Fails. And uh, it's about a man in San Francisco who, uh, when he was a kid, his family lived in one of these, like, big fancy painted lady houses in San Francisco and for years he's been stopping by and taking care of it against the wishes of the current owners who think it's very strange and when it he gets the opportunity to kind of take semi-lawful possession of the house he goes for it but there's a lot more going on in the movie than that and it's a lot about San Francisco as a changing city and black lives and white lives and friendship and all sorts of things. I found it to be a really beautiful movie and very lyrical and enjoyed it a lot. My wife, who's from the Bay Area and spent a lot of time in San Francisco, said it showed her a side of San Francisco she was not really familiar with. So she really enjoyed it too. So The Last Black Man in San Francisco I'd recommend. Currently streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, just go watch it for free. You already paid for it. Yeah, it's 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 gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful a beautiful movie. movie. Uh, and I'm going to recommend uh, a Japanese zombie movie called One Cut of the Dead. I don't think I've recommended this before, but it is a movie about a movie, um, and it's about a bunch of filmmakers making a zombie movie, or are they trapped in a zombie movie? It's a lot of fun. It plays with uh, like it plays with ideas of low budget filmmaking and uh, like found footage stuff. Uh, it's a lot of, it's, it's just great. It's fun. It's a hard movie not to like. I've been wanting to watch that one. one cut of the I've day. heard a lot of really good things about it. And, uh, yeah. speaking of Stuart recommendations, it just occurs to me, we should mention this. You were on, uh, Movie Crush, uh, recently. Yeah. Chuck Bryant's podcast about, uh, people and their favorite movies talking about. Uh, and I got to talk about the greatest movie of all yeah. time. Ricky O, the story of Ricky, uh, <laughs> the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> and I was on it recently, too, talking about Aliens, and Elliot will be on it soon, I believe. Yes, talking all... about my favorite, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. And uh, I just, no, it just occurred to me, like, we don't often plug these other appearances other than on social media. And, you know, would it kill us to tell yeah. people once in a while? Huh? No, it, it doesn't kill anyone. But uh, uh, sp speaking of plugs, I'd like to throw out a plug. Uh, now that New York is slowly and carefully reopening, uh, at least carefully in our case, uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, my wife and I have a new bar in Sunset Park that has a very expansive backyard and also is currently doing to-go service. It's called Minnie's Bar, uh, and it's lovely. And if you get a chance and you're in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, Come by for a to-go uh, to cocktail. They just got a frozen drink machine, uh, which I'm very excited about because I don't have to clean. Um, <laughs> other people clean. It's not like we just let it get gross. That'd be crazy. Yeah. Um, so if you get a chance, uh, check out Minnie's Bar in Sunset Park. Now, Aaron, are you offering to-go cocktails? Um, if you can find me. <laughs> okay. 
And if you uh-huh. can afford me, then <laughs> I will yeah. make you a to-go cocktail. Okay. Well, if in lieu of that, are there other things you would like to plug? Thank you so much for asking, Daniel. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, as I mentioned before, I was head writer for The Big Fib on Disney+, Plus, which is a game show for kids. It is, basically, we have a 10-year-old contestant, thereabouts, uh, who interviews two adults who both claim to be an expert in a given field, and then that child at the end of it has to guess who is the expert and who has been lying to them the entire time. So it's teaching critical thinking, it's fun, it's very silly, Reese Darby plays a robot. Um, Sounds so. Great. For, for younger kids, I think it's it's really fun. Um, for older kids, uh, i.e. adults, I also was head writer for the Great Fantasy Debate on Facebook where uh, teams of fantasy authors and comedians square off to debate issues within the fantasy world, like which fantasy world would be the best place to go on vacation or which fantasy character would be the worst roommate. Um, things like that. That's really fun. We had um, Jim Butcher on. We had um, Naomi Novik on, Tochi Onyebuchi, Marie Lu, uh, Pierce Brown, um, and then a bunch of really talented comedians. That's really fun. And it's 10-minute episodes on Facebook. So it's like, you're already on Facebook for 10 minutes. Watch my show. Yeah, it's, now, it's easier not. It's easier to watch it than not bite. to watch it. It's harder yeah. to avoid it. Yeah. And, uh, Elliot, you have children and Stuart you like fantasy so it seems like there's some something here for mm-hmm. everyone there's something for everyone yeah and for people who like podcasts my scripted podcast Ellie in the Wave is yeah. available wherever you get your podcasts um, that's a funny scripted with Natalie dystopian uh, with Natalie Morales not the uh, Today Show host but the very talented comedic actor Natalie Morales is our, our lead on it so where do we go to get the Today Show that's host great. Natalie Morales <laughs> uh um, I wish I had her number for you. I mean, but um, probably the I think you studio. just go to the Today Show. Yeah, yeah, you go to the Today Show. I mean, I guess I, I could just stand, stand outside, outside the window with a sign. Yeah, yeah and with just a wait. Si- with a sign that says, "Natalie, I have something very important to tell you. Come outside." <laughs> that always yeah. works. That'll work. <laughs> That'll work. Yeah, I mean, I usually, I usually would just walk around until I get some kind of an indicator on one of the NPCs I'm passing that I can start a conversation. <laughs> and then I scroll down my conversation options and see if one of them would might lead me to finding this Today oh, Show God. host. But, now we you know. know what Stuart's Terminator readout looks like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, we've, we've dithered enough. Uh, let's thank uh, Jordan Cowling for uh, uh, producing this show and editing and thank... Maximum Fun uh, for being our network. You can see or listen to, rather, other great shows at MaximumFun.org and we always appreciate you listening. Thank you for being with us. You Um, especially. You, right now, hearing this, you're our favorite and we're so glad that you're listening. Mm -hmm. And And if there's more than one person in the room, both of you are our favorites. (laughs) And if there's more than two, I'm sorry, only two of you are our favorites. (laughs) If there's more than two, a a broken pool cue will appear in front of you. (laughs) And you have to fight for it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, that didn't go well for an ending. Hey, thanks, Aaron, for being here. Thanks for having me, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Let's end on (laughs) pool cue death for the flop house. (laughs) I've been Dan McCoy. Yeah, so I guess I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen. Not sure exactly what Dan was getting at, but, you know, that's, that's okay. I'm, I don't always know.
Bye. I feel like talking about the movie was more fun. Uh, I had more fun talking about it than I kind of did watching it. Because, as I said, I was watching it by myself. And mm. I'm like, no, no, don't do this. I think watching it with a group would be, it would be a little better. Yeah. With the right group. Like, not with your parents. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.